With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. He's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Working on getting Smithy up ASAP at a stacked show on a Monday for Ian Smith. Is he? Me and you in the meantime, it's uh, it's us, brother. We're riding here, and we've got Goose on the text line that said, I have loaded up, Louis. Hope you're right. Jok- <laughs> Jok- Djokovic, let's whip him home, mate. Eh? <laughs> let's whip him home, mate. He, he, he likes starting a wee bit slowly, old Djokovic. He just does it, put on a show, mate. You don't want to got to give the fans what they want, mate. They're paying a billion bucks to go watch this game, so you've got to keep the match going for a long time. Djokovic will come home. I totally agree with that. Dollar ninety-five, mate. That's good money. That's oh, t- good returns from the TAB. It is. Hey, do you? Um, you've watched enough. You don't have to be an expert to weigh in on this stuff. But, um, but um, so, so Novak Djokovic is a, his place and legacy with. Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer. Do you have a, like a personal standing if you put them all three, 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 three of them up together? Yeah, I'm, yeah, Roger, I'm Roger Federer, Federer mate. mate. I'm Roger. I'm Roger I love what Roger's about, mate. What he's been able to achieve. He's still got some juice left in those legs, um, but I've been a huge Roger Federer um, fan throughout my. Uh, you know, just been watching tennis. Yeah, me and Corey actually we used to play so. It's quite funny. Here's a wee story about CJ. This is a good story. This ain't a story about <laughs> told. This is a good story. Me and CJ would travel around. So with the All Blacks, we were so lucky, so lucky enough, enough to be able to travel, to travel to different parts of the of the world. So we'd go to South Africa, we'd go to Australia, we'd go to Scotland. But so everywhere we went, there was a table tennis, um, uh, court, a little table tennis table in our team room. So we'd go in, and we, everywhere we went, would have an open. We'd have it open. So I'd call myself Federer. He'd call himself Nadal. So we'd go, so we'd play in Australia, and we'd win the Australian Open, I was Federer, and then we'd go to Dubai or, or South Africa. He'd win the South African Open. So we used to have an Open everywhere we went, mate. So And I used to always call myself Roger Federer, so huge, huge Roger Federer fan. <laughs> Hopefully he can come back and get, uh, get back in the winning ways, but Djokovic is, is leading the charge at the moment. Is that where you learnt that serve and volley tactic? Yeah, yeah, yeah mate. Federer. Fatterer, the Fat Express. <laughs> How's that? Like that? We've lost it. We've lost the show. Oh, We've I'm lost so, the plot here. <laughs> I, he, Smithy is just sitting there just like, no, we're doing our best, Smithy, to hold the fort just like you would. A great show coming up with Smithy when we get him on, and it won't be too long at all. I know one thing that Ian Smith will be doing is catching up with, uh, hopefully, the All Blacks captain, Sam Kane.
Talking about players losing spots, as Ian, today we were speaking about Rico Ioane filled in at centre and went really, really well, okay? Sam Kane has had to sit here and watch Sam Whitelock lead the squad, and now these guys go about it without him. He'll know that his place is secure because he's one of our great All Blacks. He is an inspirational leader within that group. But how hard would that be when you're sitting there injured and you're watching the boys go out and wreak havoc like they do? Um, it's, it's never nice. It's never nice when you're sitting there knowing that you, you want to be somewhere where you can't. So, um, look, at, <clears throat> but the thing is with the All Blacks, they've always been open about injuries. Will never, you'll never lose your position or you'll never lose your opportunity in the side because of injury. You're always going to get an opportunity. So knowing that, Sam Kane will come back. He'll, take, he'll get an opportunity. I think he's going to be running. He's been training with the Bay of Plenty Steamers. Looking forward to that. Battle of the Bays, the Hawks Bay, Magpies up against the Bay of Plenty Sea Steamers this Sunday. Go the Magpies. I know Smithy will be watching that game with interest. Hopefully the Magpies can retain. Oh, 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 yeah, he'll get oh there he is. He'll get an to... What's happened? Uh, no, it's all right. We're just, I just lost you for about a second there, and I was thinking, uh-oh. I was thinking Sam Kane's about to get have a new job. He's about to be a co-host on ECNZ. <laughs> uh, the Battle of the Bay. You, we've got. I'm looking at two Hawks Bay boys, Smithy and yourself. How much does that mean as far as NPC rivalries and double eight, double three? The Battle of the Bay this weekend. Other great NPC rivalries. What are you looking forward to when we get the NPC back up? Ranfilly Shield back in circulation. What are you looking for? Double eight, double three, or give us a call on 0800-150-811. What does it mean to that region, Izzy? Oh, it means everything, mate. That's that's where uh, you know that's that gives you the right to call yourself the Bay. So when you win that game and you talking, you're referencing Hawks Bay and you say the Bay, you can only say that if you've won that game, the Battle of the Bays. And look, mate, there's, it's a big game. It's a big game. The, the Bay of Plenty Steamers, they'll be looking for, they'll be hoping to go to Hawks Bay, do a job on the Magpies. Um, they're one from one. They've got a, gr- a great squad. Uh, Daryl Gibson is coaching them. So uh, Mike Delaney, played with Mike Delaney, very great rugby mind. So they'll go down there with the... <coughs> with a game plan to hopefully put one on. It'd, it'd just be interesting to see the, the level of, of play from these players. They've been out of the game for weeks now. They've had one, one, about one and a half weeks preparation leading into the, um, to the, uh, the Bunnings NPC, I should say now it's called. Um, they've had a limited preparation, so hopefully see the standard. Hopefully we don't see too many injuries. I'm looking forward to actually getting some rugby back on the airways. We've got the rugby championship at the moment, but just how good just to add that edit action adage of, of watching these regional teams go to battle. Um, not only the, the men's, we've got the Farah Palmer, the women's rugby with the Black Ferns just being announced, the squads. So the girls actually getting some rugby miles under their legs. What can this do? So looking forward to just watching some rugby again. The provincial, for me, well, that's where it all begins and that's where it all starts. So great weekend of rugby ahead of us. Looking forward to it. See, I, the only bay I think about when you talk about the real bay is Pegasus Bay Winery and... Um, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> long, long summers. What a few drops are here, uh, Louie. You like a pig bay. You like oh, a pig I, bay, do you? I actually used to work there in my school holidays um, in the, you know, running the wires and building the new winery there. And uh, lunch times yeah. were absolutely divine at Pig Bay, Trudy. It was... Sounds amazing. Uh, in the, the North Canterbury rolling hills sitting there just chopping back a nice ice cold out of your esky, a nice ice cold sav for lunch with your sandwich and your mum's mm. packed for you. Um, yeah, look, they were the glory days. Anyway, we're not here to talk about my glory days in North Canterbury. We're here to talk footy 
and Sport. Smithy will be with us very soon as sort of we, as soon as we work that out. In the meantime, we're going to head off and we're going to come back and we're going to continue as if we would. I think Sam Kane, hopefully on the other side of this. Stumps to behind the mic. You're in safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Smithy will join us very soon on SENZ. It's a pleasure to have you company 15 minutes past 9 o'clock on the 13th of September. And um, when Smithy's behind the stumps, an even well, safer pair of hands behind, the, like backstop, I guess, on a cricket field is JD and <laughs> Daisy. You're with us here. And uh, you got Smithy's back, so you and Izzy are going to handle this next one. Yeah, it's a damn shame that Smithy can't be on. I love his uh, sermon. Every morning at 9 o'clock just sets the tone for the station. It's just a beautiful thing. Izzy, I know you stick around every morning to hear Smithy's sermon, but unfortunately it's not happening in the Bay for Smithy. This morning, but I have actually got a guest, uh, Izzy, from the actual bay. The actual bay. (laughs) That's right. Bay of Plenty Steamers, Injured All Blacks captain, Sam Kane. G'day, Sam. Sunday, how's it going? It's going bloody well for me. Thanks, mate. Great to hear you on the radio. And Izzy, stoked that you're here to talk up the Battle of the Bay this weekend. That's why we've got you on the show. (laughs) Big one, man. Far out. I obviously won't be playing, but just... Uh, pretty pumped to be involved with the team during the week. I've never, never even been involved in any capacity of a Shield Challenge, so um, yeah, it'll be massive. Mate, you've played a, a couple of Battle of the Bays, and I've got the questions thrown at me. What makes these battles between Hawks Bay and the Bay of Plenty so, such a big deal? Can you dwell on it? Like You've been involved in a couple of games. We've had some tussles over the years. They're pretty big matches, and both teams hold them pretty close to their hearts. They want to win it. I reckon it's just the banter, to be honest. It's the bragging rights <laughs> for the year. Because um, if you go down that, that part of the country, it's just the language you use, you know, like, oh, from the bay. Um, up this up this part, where if you say you're from the bay, it's bay plenty. So um, I think it's just that. And, uh, yeah, it's just a bit of banter. It's good, it's good stuff. All right, Sam, last night, the All Blacks, I mean... This machine is just rolling on, down on so many troops, including yourself. You know, Sam Whitelock, Aaron Smith, Artie Savia, on to captain number five, your old mate Brody Retallick, and he did bloody well with it, didn't he? Yeah, no, he went outstanding. Um, and no surprises, really, eh? Far out, we've just come to come to getting used to, to Brody putting out performances like that, and it, it made sense that he um, took over the skipper's role. He's had massive... Um, leadership roles in all the teams he's been involved in in the past. Um, so, nah, stoked for him and, and stoked the way that the boys uh, perform so that he sits on that 100% winning record. Yeah, one yeah. of the great All Blacks captains like Paul Ginge Henderson, <laughs> I think, still has the record, beating Japan at, what, 145-19. So he's still number one, but Brody second most successful, I'd say. How do you go with watching games, Sam? You had a little bit of practice lately. Are you a, a pacer? Or are you a sit there eating the fingernails? How do you go about watching an All Blacks test? Uh, no, nah, not too bad. Obviously, you'd love to be with the team. I really enjoyed the um, the couple of weeks I had with the team when they were in New Zealand for those tests in Auckland against Aussie. Uh, it's cool to be involved that way. Um, then the last couple of weeks have been uh, pretty good watching because of the way the team's played. You know, it hasn't been too, too stressful. I think everyone can sort of... Mm. Um, agree with that. So now, nah, hopefully, if that continues. But um, yeah, the Argies will be tough again next week. But I think everyone in the back of their minds really hanging out for this uh, 
fullback South Africa first test. Hey mate, I just want to ask you about this performance. Um, All Blacks, you know, thirty nine nil. You can look on the outside, think that's that's a great performance, but we know they are ruthless. They are never happy with being, um, you know, content with what they put out on the uh, performance park over the weekend. What are the things that you saw? Are you happy? You think that's a clinical performance, or what are the things you see that the All Blacks could probably work on going forward into this dub South African match going in a couple of weeks? I thought it was a pretty impressive performance. Um, obviously, a, a lot of patience showed with the ball for long periods of time. We can, and be, because of that, we sort of controlled the game pretty well. Mm. Um, our team to play, man. They um, consistently um, a nuisance is at the breakdown, whether that's legal or illegal. Matera um, <laughs> was probably lucky to stay on the field. Um, those last sort of 15 minutes uh, so they can be niggly and a big part of that's just showing some patience and not allowing that to frustrate our game because it's obviously the complete opposite the way we like to play the game fast um, keep the ball moving and when it's consistently getting slowed up there so they'll always they'll always look to um, improve the breakdown and the clean out so that they don't have a chance to do that uh, but man for, for large parts I thought the um, was pretty good, um, and yeah, obviously Bodie is controlling the games. The last two weeks, we've seen him control the games outstandingly well from ten, and uh, not nah, pretty good, pretty impressive performance all round. Yeah, Sam, we we're, we're happy with the officiating. I guess the Pumas gave away eighteen penalties, which is a lot, isn't it? Trying to really disrupt the All Blacks. Two yellow cards. I mean, was that enough? Do you were you happy with the way that was policed? Um. Yeah, yeah. I thought he, <clears throat> I thought he had a pretty good game. Um, to see um, uh, have a different ref referring our games. Um, other than uh, Aussies and Kiwis, nothing against them, but just um, someone, someone different for a change after <laughs> the last couple of years. Um. Yeah, like I said, uh, Matera. I thought, yeah, he. Pushed the limits right to the edge um, and was lucky to stay on. But other than that, I thought it was a, a good game. And I think yeah, that second half, I think what the game dragged out for over two hours, and that second half would have been um, a wee while itself. So uh, that's just a reflection of, of the way the game was played and I suppose a lot of, a lot of visits to the TMO as well. Yeah, to feel like a long time. Um, but at one stage near the end of the game, Sammy, it looked like the Chiefs were out there. The inside back combination were all Chiefs, 19-12. He had Luke Jacobson out there. And then a guy, Samasoni Tokiaho. He has really come along in leaps and bounds this year. I thought he was fantastic off the bench again. Can you let us know a little bit about Samasoni? Yeah, Samasoni's a character. He's someone who works extremely hard. He's a, pretty, he's a real specimen if you're seeing with his uh, shirt off him and uh, Safo more sort of cut from the same cloth. Um, big, brutal, <laughs> strong, um, and yeah, he, he sort of physicality suits Test match rugby, and um, look, it's just reward for the way he's worked at his game consistently over the last few years. So, from a, from a Chiefs point of view, it's, it's awesome to see some of our, our younger Chiefs boys getting the run and, and gaining experience at the top level. Another Chief, bro. Uh, Luke Jacobson got another chance at the number eight jersey. I thought he was outstanding last night. Not only him, 
Dalton Papali'i, Akira Yuani. How would you like that combination last night? The Lucy's uh, are outstanding. You know, I might have even been on your guys' radio show a couple of weeks back saying that the age of them too, you know, they're all sort of mid-20s or early 20s. Um, yeah. So they're going to be around for a long time and they're playing really well and getting a lot of game time and, and under their belt. So I agree, I thought they, they all played really well in, in a tough physical battle um, and, and they fronted up and uh, it was good to see. And Sam, uh, last time we talked to you, I think it was a couple of months ago on Smithy's show, you were pretty keen to get back for Bay of Plenty at some stage. You've had shoulder surgeries, your pick, um, all that going well. And when do you think you might be back on a rugby field? Yep, all going well. Uh, thanks, JD, getting there. Um, have been training with Bay of Plenty all week, last week, or since we went to Level 2. Um, and we trained through over the weekend, get ready for Hawks Bay, I put in a few extra hours. And um, <laughs> uh, look, I'm, I'm progressing my contact. I'm pretty much participating in all the training that's um, got no contact in it, um, and just progressing that. So all going well. Hopefully, tenth uh, of October, this counties that'd be the plan. Tenth um, of October, a lot of water to go into the bridge. You beauty. Yeah. So that'll be what almost yeah. seven hey. months since your injury. Um, I think it'll be just over. Oh yeah, I'll be close to seven since my injury, and then um, just over six since surgery. Yeah, so the lockdown actually uh, has affected the pushed out the return return game by probably a week or week or so just yeah. through not being able to progress any contact yeah, during that time. Yeah, and so when do you think you might link up with the All Blacks and jump on a plane? Um, well, we'll just keep in touch, depending on how um yeah, how it goes and how that first game goes and um. Those will be up to Fozzie, but it'll be pretty nice to be able to jump on that flight um, for the States with the boys. It's certainly a bit of a goal in mind. Absolutely. Awesome to hear. Sam, awesome to hear you're doing well and can't wait for October the 10th. It's going to be mint to see you back on a rugby field, mate. Uh, appreciate that, mate. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, Sam Sammy, came there. Highest paid water boy. There you go. Highest <laughs> paid water boy, mate. <laughs> Is he, he's the man, isn't he? I know we're, we've got a lot of good open side flankers around New Zealand, but Sam Kane, for you, still the man? Yeah, 100%, mate. He's got a ton of knowledge, ton of experience, and looking forward to Sammy. He's just so relentless. That's why he's you know, got a few niggles and a few injuries. He just throws his body into breakdowns, into tackles, mate. Unbelievable leader. So look, look at this. Just we're healthy. We're lucky. We've got a ton of stocks in New Zealand. So looking forward to October the tenth. A bit of gravy for Smithy's show. How good October the tenth. We're looking forward to seeing Sammy get back on the rugby field. Absolutely. And talking of Smithy, Smithy, have we got you there? Well, I don't know. Have you? Yeah, I think we do. Yeah, sure. I think we do. <laughs> yeah, Smithy. <laughs> well, had all sorts of issues on Friday and today. So look, I. <laughs> I'm not sure what's going on. Uh, maybe it's just someone and uh, it's just a, a little bit sick and tired of Hawks Bay being <laughs> at this level, and someone in Auckland's uh, just trying to sabotage. I, I'm not quite sure about that, but however, um, hopefully back. Enjoyed that interview with Sam Kane. Uh, pretty much covered most of the bases that, that I had uh, for Sam. So mm, interesting. Yeah, Smithy. It's well done, a- is he actually? Send me an invoice is for that extra 15, 20 minutes. Don't worry about that. <laughs> It's all good, mate. You'd have my back. Thanks very much, lads. Have a great show. Cheers. See you, boys. Izzy Dag, the man. Thank you very much. And Louis Herman Watton. Smithy, it wouldn't be a morning without you giving a sermon. So let's give it a crack, eh? Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon.
Well, we'll give it a crack. So uh, Emma Raducanu won the US Tennis Open for women. She was the guest of honour on Centre Court Flushing Meadow as the great teenage tennis party unfolded. Incredibly, the first qualifier to win a major title in the Open era. The first woman to win a major at only her second attempt. The youngest winner since Maria Sharapova and the first British woman to win for 44 years. They're still checking the record books for more. Uh, and whilst they are, young Emma is staring at a bank balance, which has just increased by 2.5 million US dollars. Uh, evidently, Ravikanu is her own woman. She says she doesn't feel pressure. She will soon be forced to grapple with the dilemma that predictably awaits all young, precocious athletes these days. Expectation, adoration and general invasion will surround her. Predictably, she will be public property. The Brits love a sporting idol. This girl is that and more. So let's just hope the world, especially us in the media, have learned a lesson at the expense of Biles, Osaka and co. After we've all justifiably reveled, reveled and shared in her triumph, perhaps the best and kindest thing we can do is to leave her alone for a while. Let her carry on living her 19th year of life and let her get back to being the little up-and-comer from Bromley she was just a fortnight ago. And of course, we all know that'll happen. Do they still do Tui billboards? No, 9.28 here on SENZ, uh, back up and running out of our Hawkspace studio, which is great. And, of course, uh, the double header last night. Interesting, John, I, I didn't think the crowd for the All Blacks game was as big as uh, I would have thought. There was a lot of blue seats in, but I, I like the you know, the, uh, the prospect of more double headers. I, I think it's great value for money. Yep. Although, when you stretch a game out over two hours, an 80-minute game goes over two hours, I'm not quite sure that's the product that anyone wants to see, whether they're at home or whether they're at the stadium. It's just wrong. I mean... Too much. It's a, they must learn a lesson from this. I mean, you know, we, we just heard last week, um, you know, from Steve Lancaster a, a, about changing 15 aspects of the game. Was it 15 or 12 yeah, new 15, rules in the yep. game? 15 new rules in the game to make it safer, to make it more attractive, uh, and, you know, to make it a, a better prospect for everyone involved. It's an experiment at a lower level with a view towards taking it higher. Goodness me. Fix the system that you've got, which is making it drag out so long. Fix that, that system with TMOs and referees. I heard Israel before saying he's had enough. He's had an absolute gutful of, of the, the delays, the speculation, all this sort of thing. And he's dead right. We've been saying this for a long, long time. If you take, or if you take pressure off a referee, in other words, you give him more help, you take pressure off him, he will look for that help more often. And that will mean that the games will go longer. And, and you just, you've got to get back to the point where he makes a decision. It's his job, for God's sake. He's got the whistle. He makes a decision and stands by that decision. That's best. That's, that's called refereeing. That is called refereeing. So let's just um, get back to that for mine. Really, uh, you know, it's, it's not a good look. I mean, the All Blacks won, I think they scored 77 unanswered points now against Argentina in the last two times they've played them. 38-0, 39-0. Uh, Wallabies um, was also dominated by the whistle. Thank goodness Quade Cooper kicked eight out of eight. Uh, but they lost that game three tries to one. I mean, you know, in terms of tries, they were 3-1 down. South Africa will wonder why they weren't able to win that. Well, a simple question is penalties. You give away seven opportunities and he's kicking that well, it's going to cost you. 
9.30 here on SENZ. And Trudy, good morning to you. The remarkable Emma Raducanu. From the qualies to the queen at the United States Open. You might never see this again. You started this journey three weeks ago. You're the first qualifier to ever win a major tournament. How did you do it? First of all, I really want to congratulate Layla and her team on an incredible fortnight. I mean, she's played some incredible tennis and beaten some of the top players in the world, so it was an incredibly difficult match, but uh, I thought the level was extremely high, and um, I hope that we play each other in many more tournaments and hopefully finals. As for the three weeks I've spent in New York, I would say that Having a, such a supportive team like I have over there, my coach, Will, the, you know, the LTA, my agent, everyone in that team, and everyone back home who isn't here but watching on TV, thank you so much for all your support over the years. Well, it is a long way from Bromley to Flushing Meadow, but she's made the journey very successfully, hasn't she? She's just three weeks in New York, and her life has completely and utterly changed. Forever, you'd have to say. Now, Dave Worsley is our tennis expert. Uh, Dave's been to so many uh, Grand Slam events over the years in all the different venues. Uh, Dave, I'm still a little bit taken aback by the ease with which she's done this throughout this tournament. Uh, She's had um, a nice pass through, but you can only play those people that are in front of you. A number of the seeds dropped off before she would have encountered them. But having said that, She's done an exceedingly great job. Uh, she beat Fernandez very, very comfortably in the end. Would this be one of the most amazing things when you look at it that you've ever seen in tennis? Yeah, that's right, Smithy. It is. It was just a remarkable. Don't forget, she won 10 matches. She won three in qualifying as well and then had to win seven to uh, win, obviously, the tournament in the main draw. In fact, she never dropped eight games in the main draw. It was only in the qualifying against the uh, Georgian player Bob Zatsi where she actually dropped eight games. That was a 6-3-7-5. The rest of the tournament, the worst that she got was actually in the final seven games that she dropped. She never dropped a set. This is quite remarkable that you, you win 10 matches in a row uh, in any form of tennis without dropping a set, let alone a grand slam. So I think that just adds to it. It's quite remarkable, really. And I mean, you know, just so many records and uh, even the telegram from the Queen. How cool is that? I mean, the Queen doesn't even mm-hmm. like tennis. The last time the Queen <laughs> went to Wimbledon, I think, was actually 1977. And Virginia Wade won the, uh, was the last uh, Grand Slam winner in that women's tennis for the Brits. So it's just remarkable full stop. I mean, seriously, the Queen to do that, that's cool. When you're an 18-year-old, usually you have to wait until you're 100. <laughs> Another 81 years before... Uh... Shall we get getting one for her birthday, uh, Dave? Okay, let's look at her game. Let's break this down now. It's not what you'd call a power game. I mean, you know, it, it looks... I mean, she plays the percentage as well, but she didn't appear to make very many errors on the big points. And I think, was that the sec- one of the secrets to it? Yeah, she played an error-free uh, game. Uh, she held her nerve very well. And this is what we've been quite amazed at that an 18-year-old who's so fresh from, you know, 300 and something in the world and had been up a little bit more, up a bit more, and now she's going to be in the, uh, what is it, about 20 or thereabouts, 
it, that she could hold her nerve on such a big stage in front of 23,000 people. Uh, Leila Fernandez perhaps didn't in the final, got a little bit frustrated there, and that's fair enough. I mean, you get out there, you know this title is there. It's you or her. Who's going to win it? You've got all that pressure on you. You've got the big crowd. You've got the expectations. You've got everybody watching you, and everybody around the world is watching you because you're two teenagers out there fighting for it. So that pressure comes on you, even if you think you've been calm. You know, it's pretty tough. And then you might get a call that you're just a little bit, you know, unhappy with, that a shot doesn't quite go right, then your movement wasn't going right for Fernandez. Was everything that seemed to go quite right for Radakanu? Yeah, she hasn't got the biggest, best game as yet, but she's 18. She'll figure out how to perhaps beat some other players. I was just amazed. I mean, I didn't expect either of these two to win the semifinals. I thought they might just fade a little bit with the pressure. Uh, but, you know, they came through and played incredibly well in their semis and almost eased through in a way. I mean, that, that was quite remarkable. But in the end, Fernandez just didn't have the... I, I just think she didn't play as well as she could have. Her, her movement wasn't quite as good. And when the movement goes, just about everything else goes. Plus, Radakanu played extremely well. A very efficient game to win. Dave, you know, uh, you've seen young players come through. You've seen... Um... You've seen young pe- people's lives change overnight, basically. Just how big will this be for her on the tennis scene now? How, and we've seen it, we've seen it with Osaka. What are the dangers now that present themselves to this young girl after this victory? Well, here's the thing. This is the difficulty. You're, you're, the, you're the champion player. You're going to go back home. By, uh, possibly, I don't think she's going to play a tournament uh, this next week. She'll probably go back home. They can travel relatively freely between the U.S. and uh, the U.K., and everybody will want a piece of it. Everybody will want to meet. The hardest thing is then to limit that, and people then go, oh, you're being a snob by uh, limiting all your chances. You're not going to talk to us. Why not? Well, in the U.K., I mean, you've spent enough time there. You just know how everybody wants a piece of you, and you will get no peace and quiet. There will be photographers camping outside her parents' house wanting photos and wanting to know... What is it? What shirt she wears, what she drinks, what she eats for breakfast, every single thing like that. So it's hard to shut that away. And so in many ways, it's almost best for her to stay away from the UK and play another tournament wherever it is around the world. But she will have to go home. She will have to show off the trophy. She will want to see her parents. She will want to see everybody. And that's all fair enough. But, you know, it's just a matter of protecting her in one way. But I think one thing, Smithia, that really sums this up. There was a tweet that came out from a, a professor, Claire Hopkins. I, I love this tweet because it sums it up. Three, three months ago, my daughter and Emma Raducanu were in the same maths class. Since collecting their A-level results, one has broken all records and won the U.S. Open. The other has broken the wrist whilst crowd surfing at a festival. It's a proud parenting <laughs> moment. Think what you were doing <laughs> as an 18-year-old. That's a great tweet. You yep. know, three months ago, they were in the same <laughs> maths class. One's won all these records. The other one's broken her wrist crowd, um, crowd surfing. <laughs> Think what you were that doing is, as an eighteen year old. Were you a top athlete? That, that's a hell of a thing. As an eighteen year old, no, I was uh, working in a bank, trying to make my way and trying to play first class cricket. I mean, that that's as simple as that. And I'll tell you what, I was getting about thirty two bucks a week in my first job, about thirty two dollars <laughs> a week. Um, I mean, and and, and I felt you know, lucky. See an I felt lucky. Doing yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. felt lucky doing it. Dave. And then you see an eighteen uh, year old. Yeah. It, it, it is staggering. So the, uh, the other thing, of course, that will uh, the phone will light up for is endorsements. So, I mean, she's not going to want for much for the rest of the yeah. life, I wouldn't think. Well, 3.5 million US or thereabouts, um, or whatever it is, a lot. 
for winning the tournament, uh, well, she, she'll be totally fine financially, as long as they're managed properly. Of course, we've seen people that haven't been. I mean, Steffi Graf's father took most of her money, embezzled quite a lot and uh, things like that. We've had uh, issues with Mary Pierce was similar with her father. Uh, there's been agents I know for players ranked a little bit lower who have lost all their money. You know, it, it's, it's not great in the end. Money changes everybody. It doesn't matter who you think you are, whether it's uh, Emirata Kano as an 18-year-old or her parents or everybody. It does change you, particularly in uh, high-performance sport and high-quality sports. So, you know, I, hopefully it doesn't. And hopefully Leila Fernandez can recover from this quickly as well because it, it hurts. Uh, she feels as though she didn't put in her best performance, and uh, that's just one of those things. And, uh, you know, this is what still strikes me, you know, is that these two players are young. We haven't had a couple of teenagers do so well for a while. Uh, of course, Sharon Pover was the, the last one to win the U.S. Open uh, as a teen. I don't know what you know. We had uh, Andreescu won as a teen. Sharapova was only 17 or thereabouts when she started winning slams. Uh, we've had Martina Hinger. She had some issues for a while, came back quite nicely. So hopefully these two can keep it up. And uh, I think with the Williams sisters sort of fading slightly, Osaka having a few issues, perhaps we're looking at the future of tennis. It may take a little while. They're not going to win every single slam but it's going to take a little while that uh, hopefully they can come through and do very well. Well, uh, talking about slams and grand slams, uh, it's looking a distant prospect now at the moment for Djokovic. Uh, he's uh, dropped the first set. Comfortably Medvedev wins that. He's a, he's a service breakdown in the second, so Medvedev's about to serve for the second set. What are you, uh, I mean, if you're like me, you're watching it out of the corner of your eye right now. What are you seeing or what aren't you seeing from Djokovic? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I'm seeing Medvedev playing very well. It's not so much that Djokovic isn't playing so great. He's playing well enough, but Medvedev is at the top of his game. His only thing now will be to hold his nerve. Don't do anything stupid. Now, he's Russian, so and he admits that being Russian, you do stupid things. I'm sorry to any Russians listening, but that's what he says. Uh, you know, he's, he's just so talented, and he's playing such a great game, and now the pressure's starting to tell. We've seen in the last few games, we've seen one racket that was just obliterated, but it deserved it. Mm. You know, it was just uh, obliterated. Uh, we saw a threat to smash a ball, and then the ball kid was running towards him, and then he stopped, so that was good. Um, otherwise, it could have been Altsky. Uh, you know, he's, Djokovic is suffering a little bit. He says he doesn't feel the pressure of winning the grand slam. Well, I tell you what, that pressure is there. The pressure in a Grand Slam final is always there, but the pressure of winning, you know, everything in the calendar year, it will be telling you. But at the moment, just looking at Medvedev, he just looks as normal, sort of calm, unorthodox type Mm. of player who hits everything off the wrong angle. You look at him and think, is this guy a top athlete? I know we shouldn't go on how people look. He just, I just love the way he plays because it's slightly unorthodox and it's uh, fantastic to see. He's now serving to take the second set at uh, 5-4. Oh, we'll let you go and watch it, Dave, because uh, this is a key a key moment because uh, if he's going to win this, Djokovic, it looks like he's going to have to win it in five sets. Dave Worsley with, uh, with us, folks, with uh, our tennis insight as well as update. Really interesting. Uh, look, call us uh, or text us on double eight double three if you like. Uh, call us on 0800-150811. What do you think of this young girl? It, it is just absolutely special. Emma Ratakanu, speak about her if you like. Text us about the All Blacks. Do you enjoy watching two-hour games of rugby these days? What's the answer to that? Double eight, double three. Let's hear from you. Voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, 9.49 at the moment. And uh, after 
10 o'clock, we'll be talking to Alan Hewson, uh, All Black number 804. And why will we be talking to Alan Hewson? Well, yesterday marked 40 years to the day, 40 years to the day since that famous kick at uh, Eden Park during the flower bomb test, uh, which saw the All Blacks in the end beat the Springboks 25-22. Ever forget it. It was an amazing kick. And uh, just uh, as famous, uh, perhaps it didn't win a World Cup, but it certainly beat South Africa. And back in those days, uh, that was pre-World Cup. That was about the ultimate prize for the All Blacks. So uh, looking forward to talking to Huey uh, and also JD. I can uh, tell you right here and now that Medvedev has won both the first and second set 6-4. And uh, Djokovic looks just a little bit, I won't say sluggish, um, but uh, this will be the test of him now. Remember, he's sitting on a possible Grand Slam here. He's, and Rocket Rod, uh, Rod Laver is in the crowd as well. So amongst a, a number of celebrities one of the greats of all time, or Rocket Rod. So it'll be interesting to see if he can lift himself, uh, but he's going to have to do it the hard way in five sets. Yeah, he hasn't looked good all tournament, really. He's dropped the first set on, I think, about four of his matches against some pretty no-name opponents as well, and it always looked like like he had a really tough run through, like Berrettini in the quarterfinals, the sixth seed, Zverev, the third seed in the semi-final, now the number two in Medvedev, and Medvedev has been doing it easy the whole tournament, and has now just been blasting down his massive serves. 6-4, 6-4, and it is the start of the third set. I know Djokovic has faced a lot of adversity in his time. He throws his toys one minute and can be a champion the next, but this would be really the ultimate test of Novak Djokovic. It looked like without Nadal and Federer, this would be his to take, but it hasn't panned out that way, Smithy. No, uh, he just looks very thorough and very focused, uh, Medvedev. Uh, I think this was, this was always going to be a big hurdle. I mean, if he wins this, he will deserve the Grand Slam. If he wasn't to, to win it, uh, and that means he, he has to win three sets in a row. I, uh, I kind of think that uh, that was the name everyone was thinking would be the barrier. Medvedev was always the name at the start of the tournament when Federer dropped out, when Nadal dropped out, when some of the seeds went missing early on. Uh, everyone said, everyone said uh, Medvedev is the man that could stop him, the only one that could stop him, and it looks like he's about to. We shall see, because uh, he's a resilient chap, Djokovic. You don't get that good without it. Uh, 9.52 here on SENZ, and also it's uh, multi-time before 10 o'clock. Uh, I went for the doctor, and uh, I need the doctor. The mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the whole Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Okay, so we went for a seven-prong multi on Friday, which would have realised ten dollars twenty-seven. Didn't go so good very quickly. Sakari uh, to beat Raducanu. Well, we know now that Raducanu went on and uh, won that. She went on and won the whole US Open. So uh, that went down very quickly. But uh, the other ones were pretty good. Melbourne won. The Roosters won. The Panthers were beaten. Uh, by the Rabbitohs, that didn't help. Uh, the Eels beat the Knights, and both those horses ran in the first three. In fact, they both won, incentivised and on trivia. So uh, no good there. So today we've simplified it a wee bit. Uh, we'll go to uh, NFL, American football, Los Angeles Rams to beat the Chicago Bears. It's just a buck 24, so you'd expect them to get up, wouldn't you? Uh, women's NBA action, Seattle Storm to beat the LA Sparks. That'll be $1.36. And the Yankees to beat the Mets uh, in this chapter of the Battle of the Subway. So that's a $2. The Yankees slide outside, that's a $2 return. It takes it to a $3.37 Monday 
if that was the case. Uh, updating the tennis, uh, he's broken straight away Medvedev in the third set as well. It's a juice on Medvedev serve, so you kind of feel this is the moment. If Djokovic doesn't break back straight away, the way Medvedev is serving and playing, it may be it. Um, and, and just looking at it, and he's just made another unforced error, Djokovic. So it's advantage Medvedev, and, and it's looking really, really bad for the man going for uh, his grand slam. He just doesn't seem to be, whether it's because Medvedev is just so good and, uh, and, and so relentless, or it's because uh, I think Djokovic is just off the pace a wee bit today. Um, I'm not quite sure what it's uh, got to him, but uh, really his legs look very tired and very sore and very old all of a sudden. So, yeah, coming up in the next hour, we've got Alan Hewson uh, to talk about that kick and that amazing day. Uh, then, of course, we've got the panel this morning, and uh, that'll consist of Kimberly Downs and Jim Pays. Talk about uh, rugby and maybe this uh, little tennis superstar. And then later in the hour, we'll talk to Louis Herman Watt and Paul Mawadi as well. And Bossy, of course, on the NRL. That's after 11. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. A penalty back at the mark. A penalty to New Zealand. Back at the mark. What was it for? Well, the All Blacks uh, took the quick kick, Donaldson ran across to his left, the Springboks hadn't gone back to 10 metres, so the uh, indirect free kick was turned into a penalty, which uh, was on the right side of the field, they brought up Alan Houston to take it, it's on his side of the field, he can draw it in, the wind is blowing almost straight down uh, the, uh, almost the runway to him, he can just push it straight into the wind. It shouldn't be bothered at all by the wind. There it is there. You can see coming right off the top of the scoreboard. The flag there. Yes, the referee's added on about five minutes of extra time. Now, that could be because of the time clearing away obstacles off the pitch, the flower bombs. So five minutes into injury time, Alan Houston has a chance to win the series for New Zealand. He put that kick, a dramatic kick, over the touchline. Yep, it was 40 years to the day yesterday that the Alan Houston kicked that very famous goal for the All Blacks to beat the Springboks 25-22 in what was dubbed the flower, be- flower bomb test at Eden Park. Uh, Alan Houston joins us uh, right now. Uh, Huey, good morning to you. 40 years ago, mate. I'll bet you can still remember it pretty vividly, though. Yes, Matty. Yeah, good morning. I'm just actually looking at a photo of the ball going between the posts as we speak. Still keeps going <laughs> over. <laughs> what do you uh, What do you recall about that? I mean, uh, it was Graham Thorne in commentary there with uh, with Keith Quinn. Uh, did he sum up the con- conditions pretty well? I think so. Yeah, it's uh, as you say, it's 40 years ago. Uh, um, it was a little, wee bit of uh, wee bit of wind involved, but. Uh, no, it's, uh, it was a um, it was a funny old day the, uh, with the flower bombs uh, raining from the sky, etc. And um, uh, yeah, it's just uh, uh, it's, a, it's a great memory, I suppose, to have. But um, whether we should have been playing the game or not, that's another story, isn't it? 
Well, it is. Uh, we'll get to that shortly. I, I just I can't let the kick go by that quickly, though, because you get called up. Uh, no kicking tees back in those days, of course. Um, you know, you just have to make the mark and get the ball to balance on the ground yourself. What were your thoughts? Uh, were you able to switch off the importance of the kick and just get on with technique, or, or you know, when were you sort of dealing with that as well? I was actually quite uh, positive, which uh, which is unusual for me. I, I thought, yeah, it has to go over. So there was there was nothing else in my mind, just the kick, which uh, which was great. You know, you, you're just focusing on that, that that one kick, and nothing else was happening around me. So for that moment, um, my mind was just on the kick, which was great. That's, you know, that's how it has to be. Um, and everything else after that was um, was emotion, as uh, as as I remember. And so it's um, yeah, I was pretty positive that I was going to get it. So that was that was a good start. Well, back in those days, of course, uh, Huey, um, beating the Springboks was perhaps uh, the ultimate. I suppose the Bledisloe Cup was very important, but there were no World Cups. So to, to beat the Springboks in that manner was, I guess, a career highlight? Yeah, it had to be. It's, uh, you know, with the, uh, with the way the country was and the bizarre nature of that particular test um, and having come from uh, hiding in Wellington, um, yeah, it's, it was probably... Uh, uh, as important a game as you'd ever want, really. We really needed to win that just because uh, of all the pressure that the, the country was under uh, off the park. Uh, we really need to have something to, uh, to cheer about on the park. So to, to win that well, we was, had, uh, was pretty special here. We had Stewie, Stu Wilson on quite some time ago and he recollected some side of it that I hadn't I hadn't realised before about you know, how his wife at the time, Robin, was it was actually on the front line of the protest, and he was dealing with playing and the protesting aspect of it. And uh, he said at that point um, that if they had the chance again, that squad of All Blacks had that chance again, they probably wouldn't play. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, my uh, my wife was against the tour as well, so she didn't go in the game. She just uh, had her protest at home. Uh, so yeah, split families, split uh, families, um, you know, husband and wives and, 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 and mothers and fathers, etc. It's down the middle. So you don't really want to go through that uh, if you don't have to. And I think just the, the country in general, as it, you know, it's easy in hindsight to say, but I don't think many of the guys would have played. Um, it's hard hard to tell, you know, when you when you grow up just wanting to be an All Black and play, you know, every test you possibly can. It's that's uh, a bit of a tug, really, so to, to say you wouldn't play. So. It's hard to know. It's hard to know. But you know, if you if you had the time again, I'd probably Stu would probably be right. We'd, we'd, most would probably not play. Well, you come from a, a very much a sporting family. Uh, you also uh, in Petoni, of course, one of the proudest uh, rugby clubs in the whole country. Um, did you cop? I won't say much abuse, but what was the feeling around that aspect? You mentioned your wife was against the tour, but what about you know your mates, your rugby playing buddies, as such? Yeah, yeah, I had a, had a, a real good mate I played first fifteen with. He uh, he was dead against the tour, and he was he, you know, he, he was outspoken about it. Um, and someone knocked him over in the workman's club in the toilet for his uh, for his views. So that sort of uh, displayed the uh, the emotions that were going on between both parties. Uh, yeah, but Tony, we had toured South Africa in '74 as a club, and um, uh, we were probably one of the first club teams to do that. Um, so we, uh, we you know, most most guys were probably for the tour, although we did have two or three guys that wouldn't wouldn't tour in '74 as well. So it um, yeah, it splits splits clubs, splits families, and split the country. So uh, not too much not too much worries. I, I remember the 
the game at the park, Athlete Park. I, I came home on the Friday afternoon and his mate of mine lives around the corner and he had uh, four of the Springbok, well, three of the Springbok reserves staying with him. So that was uh, a unique occasion as well. He got uh, caught him to have a cup of coffee and, and left pretty quickly after that. <laughs> uh, what about that, that afternoon? I mean, you know, you, you're at the back, so I guess, you know, you, you've got a perspective of what's going on around the ground that maybe the guys in the tight ha- have not perhaps got. So you, you can see this plane, you can see these, fly, these, these flare fires and things, uh, you know, around the ground. Um, what, what were you thinking at, at that moment when this damn plane was diving low and you could see these things coming out of it? Yeah, but Bernie and Sue and I were at the back there and, you know, the forwards are down, they head down and not noticing too much more than what they were doing. So, But we could see the plane coming in and, you could, you know, we were ducking every time the damn thing came came under underneath the, the top of the grandstand. And, uh, yeah, we, we were sort of one eye on the plane, one eye on the, the flower bombs and one eye on the game. So it, sort of, it, was, uh, it was bizarre, really, to be quite honest. And then uh, when Gary, Gary Knight-Axel got hit, with the flower bomb, I think, Christ, it was him and not me. But, um, you know, that sort of brought it home a bit. And, uh, there was some talk of pulling, calling the game off by the ref at that stage. But both captains wanted to carry on and get the, get the job done. Mm. Uh, look, let's um, revert to uh, from there to today, because I, I know you're still a, a very avid sports watcher. You follow your cricket, you follow uh, most sports, I would imagine. The All Blacks played last night, and at the moment they're trying to sort of settle on a back three. Tell us about your back three. Uh, with was Stu and Bernie that Wellington connection. There was almost like a sixth sense uh, amongst you three. Yeah, we uh, we sort of probably complemented each other in, in, in a roundabout way. Uh, Bernie was um, a fantastic runner and, and quick on his feet and, and aggressive. Uh, Stu was a, quite a quite a big fellow for the times and had ran great lines and uh, was a great talker and communicator. And uh, so we we. Yeah, well, I suppose we did have a bit of a uh, bit of a combination there. It was just automatic, really. We, we were all pretty keen to move the ball at most times, most opportunities. And, uh, yeah, it was probably a sixth sense between the three of us. You look at the game of rugby now, I suppose, with the experiences you had in the back. How do, how do you see the game? Is, is it too stop-starty? Is there too many regulations in it? I mean, I'm told that the, that test match yesterday went for over two hours. Over two hours the players were out there on the field. What, what's what's missing, or what isn't missing? Well, there's a lot of things missing. Smitty, don't start. I don't think we've got that long for the show. But um, <laughs> for rugby in general, if if we take away from the, the top stuff, uh, rugby's declining around uh, around New Zealand, and uh, you know, there's not many kids playing at secondary school. Primary school kids are great. You know, that, that, that's still numbers are growing there. Secondary school is hardly anyone playing the game, and uh, when they watch, or if they do watch. At age, what's a, what's a test match like that? You know, there's um, there's so many bizarre rules and interpretations of rules, and you, know, you can't jump in the air and touch a guy. You, the Geordie Barrett thing a, a week or two ago was you know, bizarre, as far as I, I was concerned. And guys ducking into tackles, they get hit in the head because the arms down low and getting sent off for ten minutes. All this sort of stuff. The, the backs are all offside. There's never, I don't think there is an offside line anymore. The guys coming in getting pinned and. Um, and racks from the side and getting smacked with shoulders and you know this it's a, it's a brutal game and I don't think it's doing much good for rugby uh, in New Zealand or rugby around the world really it's um, at, at the lower level it's just sort of it's a brutal game and it's stop start it's more like league and sometimes 
Uh, and then you go and watch the Aussie South African game, and they kicked the shit out of it for bloody 20 or 25 minutes, and uh, no one was going to have a game a, a game at all at, at one stage. I thought they were just going to have a kicking back, forcing back. So, you know, so there's a lot of lot of things wrong in my in my view. I, I think the World Rugby have got to look at the game uh, completely. Uh, so we can get some kids playing at secondary schools and going into the clubs after that. Um, they leave the professionals to knock themselves around if they want to do that. But uh, for the sake of the game, we're going to have to do something somewhere along the line. Yui, um, we're, we're, oh, have we got our 15? Who is our best 15? There's uh, two or three candidates, Geordie Barrett, of course, Damien McKenzie, uh, even Will Jordan. Harvili likes to play fullback. We know that. He's a good 12 at the moment. What do you think of our fullback stocks, and who would you go for? Yeah, the stocks are pretty good, aren't they? We can play anyone there at uh, at any stage. But uh, you know, I'm a bit of a fan of Geordie Barrett. You know, the size he's got in the way the South Africans and the Argies and the Aussies kick the ball. Um, you feel pretty secure when he's back there at six foot five, taking the up and under. Will Jordan looks a great prospect. You know, Chevy Reese has played well. George Woods had a good game yesterday. So, you know, Ricky Ione on the on the wing or centre. Now, the stocks are pretty good, um, but at the moment I'd be you know, McKenzie off the bench and uh, Geordie at fullback would be my uh, my go-to. Alan Houston, before we let you go, what do you, I mean, you're the kind of guy, I mean, you're always fit. You're, I always look at Alan Houston and, and I take 10 years off your age because that's how fit and young you've always looked. Uh, what do you what do you do to now to keep um, to keep busy? I, I would imagine there's still a competitive edge in you. Is it, is it golf? Is it bowls or something you like? Yeah, we're uh, we've we've got a little group of golfers, um, pretty much the same as you, I would imagine. We call ourselves the Batoni Putters. A lot of old uh, rugby and getting older by the minute rugby players. You know, the Twig Sars and uh, Frank Walkers and Richard Whittingtons and all those sort of guys uh, play every Saturday, and we're pretty competitive. A bit of money uh, changes hands on a Saturday afternoon, and a couple of habits afterwards just to just to replenish the the, uh, the liquids, the fluids in the body. Uh, so that's probably me and a, a little bit of walking around the place. I'm, I throw copy of paper and, and uh, furniture around during the during the day for the week with the Houston Office Products Depot, which we're still operating. And um, so yeah, keeping reasonably fit, and don't don't mind the odd beer on the odd occasion on a nice hot day. Good on you, Huey. Uh, absolutely fantastic to talk to you, uh, to relive those uh, moments 40 years ago. And go and have one. Uh, I hope you had a beer yesterday, but you can go and have one to now. Uh, tonight, 40 years ago yesterday, unbelievable scenes at Eden Park, and you won the game for us. Outstanding, mate. Thanks for your time. It's been great chatting. Thanks, buddy. Good on you, mate. Cheers. Cheers, man. Alan Houston there, folks. Uh, great Patoni, Wellington, and uh, All Black, of course, with that kick. That magnificent left foot straight between the uprights. Arms raised. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Right, it is uh, 10.16 here on SENZ, uh, panel time after the break. Voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Well, the panel this morning consists of uh, Kimberly Downs, of course, from TVNZ, Jim Kayes from uh, Sky Sport, a, a, a producer of The Breakdown, who's well as uh, an award-winning journalist as well, um, and specialising in the subject of rugby. I think I'm going to start with tennis first, though, Kimberly. I think I'll come to you in this wonderful story of this tennis final between two teenagers, uh, one of them, of course, having to win it. It was Raducanu, Emma Raducanu, who 
pocketed uh, around three million US dollars for it all. Um, but now, of course, um, her life has changed. Will she be able to handle it? Some haven't. Oh, morning, Smithy. Morning, Jim. That is indeed the big question, and I just think so. For now, you almost just need to appreciate what we got to witness over the last few weeks with her story. Like, if there is a single person who has not been charmed by Emma Raducanu, I would be surprised. And by Leila Fernandez as well, to be fair, give some credit uh, to her final opponent. But Raducanu, to come through qualifying off the back of a Wimbledon tournament where she had that panic attack and fronted up to the next, up to it the next day, to then come through at the very next major through the qualifying process, to win it all is just astounding. What a magical run. And on top of it all, it just, she doesn't, she, she seems just like a decent person, doesn't she? She's so composed. She's so eloquent. I think the endorsement deals are just going to come thick and fast mm. for her. But like you mentioned, that is probably where some of the questions will now start to lie and what this means for her future, whether she can back it up. She's only 18 years old. She, by rights, should not have a level of pressure and expectation on her that other players who are more senior than her do. But unfortunately, that is the reality now that her name is known all over the sporting world. So how she now handles that will be really, really interesting to see. But if she does it well, I mean, this is a girl, she's... She's 18 years old. She's had this huge achievement. She's got massive appeal in the sense that she's kind of got, you know, the English-speaking and Mandarin-speaking as well background. There are really no limits on what her future could hold if she can manage to kind of stay grounded from this experience, if she keeps that tight team around her. And I just can't wait to see what she's going to do in the future. Well, Jim, hey, and, uh, and guys, pressure, pressure gets to everybody. Uh, if I could just jump in, I've just seen uh, Medvedev double fault twice uh, in the uh, in, in the. <laughs> he's up five two. He was up forty forty thirty. He's now down. Uh, well, he's just he's just lost the game. So he just he just lost. He double faulted twice, and then he just lost that point. And now this is a man who previously won six four six four against Novak Djokovic, who's going to. If he wins this, would be the best uh, have the best record in the world. So pressure gets to everybody, doesn't it? Uh, let alone if you're an 18 year old from from Britain. But you know, I, I no, echo uh, what Kim Jim. said. The story about Emma is just beautiful. It's a beautiful yeah. story, and we should just focus on what an incredible achievement she, she did and let the rest of it sort of play out. You know, we've seen so many top tennis players uh, struggle with pressure. But, you know, before Osaka came along, there's been plenty of others who have struggled with the, with the pressure as well. So let's just hope that she continues to delight like she did yesterday and, and her opponent did as well, Fernandez. Speaking of delight, Jim, were you delighted at the All Black performance yesterday in Brisbane or in Queensland? I was certainly encouraged, Smithy. Uh, really encouraged by the Ford Pack, and let's let's just take a moment to to look who was not there: Sam Kane, Sam Whitelock, Cody Taylor, Patrick Tupoloto, uh, Dane Coles, um, and Adi Savia were all missing from that Ford Pack. And apologies if I missed anyone else out. Uh, and they did a, a fantastic job against a, a Pumas team that we know are very good in the forwards that we know from last year are very good at spoiling and all those sorts of things. So. Look, I was a little bit nervous, to be honest, Smithy, uh, thinking further ahead about the Springbok test match, uh, test matches and, and uh, how the All Black Ford Pack would cope. But from what I saw last night, uh, both in the performance against 
Argentina and then from the Australians and particularly their scrum at key moments against um, South Africa, I found it extremely encouraging that performance uh, last night. So yeah, let's let's hope we've, uh, we've the, the All Blacks have got a few more of those in them uh, over the next few weeks. Kimberly, uh, I'm I'm looking at the fifth All Black captain. I think we talked to Sam Kane earlier. The boys did, and um, I think uh, he was captain at the start of the year, and we're now up to number five. But it didn't seem to affect Brody Retallick. Uh, it seemed to bring even even more out of him, if that's possible. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, he was as immense as he ever is at the breakdown, wasn't he? He's such an impressive player. And I think it possibly took a few people back a little bit when he was named captain this time around because perhaps we don't really get to see him necessarily in that leadership role, do we? Um, but certainly he seemed to embrace it. And when it comes to the All Blacks, so many of their captains are these guys who show their leadership best in their play, their style of play how they lead on the field more so necessarily uh, than how loud or how vocal or, or, you know, what sort of pretty motivational speeches they might get. And I think Brody is probably another one of that ilk, and he certainly showed it last night. I mean, man just performed at another level. He is an absolute release. And much like Jim, I mean, I'm really, really, really looking forward to seeing how the four packs, once they get up to the, next, uh, to the test against the Springboks in a couple of weeks' time, how they match up against each other. Well, Jim, that's an interesting one uh, because what, uh, and you mentioned the number of players that have been missing from that pack. All of a sudden, with the standard that that pack set last night, there's a bit of hunger. I mean, you, you can expect when Whitelock rejoins the fray, maybe Artie Savia this time around, just, uh, it, it seems the bar has just been lifted a bit, so it's that's doubly good news. Yeah, it is, and, and yeah. look, this is almost sacrilege to, to, to say this, but does Artie Savia have to come off the bench? Um, you know, and, and I say that for a couple of reasons. Uh, being a bench player requires something a little bit special, and I think Artie has that. Uh, Dalton Papali'i is not a bad bloke to have out there pummeling away for the first, um, I don't know, let's say 60 or, or even 50, let's say 50 minutes, and then you bring on a, a guy like Artie Savia who just has that huge ability to change a game. I just wonder, uh, guys, whether, whether that's something that they might not look at um, for the Springbok Test matches. I doubt they will do it. I mean, he is their captain. He's likely to come back and, and start again as captain. But, boy, they've got some, some depth. They've got some options. Uh, and, you know, when we get... I don't think Smith and Moanga are going to be there for the South African Test matches. Certainly Whitelock's not going to be. But boy, oh boy, suddenly that would be a fantastic uh, Test match because those young fellas are, are, are playing superbly well. There, another guy, Mr. Sorry, Smithy, was off a Tunga Fussy. So you look at that mm. front row, very inexperienced front row, apart from when Joe Moody came on. Um, it's exciting. It's really, really exciting, and it's going to be such a clash of contrasting styles when they play South Africa. The boxer want to keep it tight. They'll want to play just one to ten. New Zealand will want to run them off their feet. It'll be really fascinating to see who can dominate control and possession of the ball so that they can then dictate what sort of game we get to see. I can just uh, tell you, uh, please stay with us, um, Jim and uh, Kimberly as well, because um, I've got some other things uh, to ask you about as well. But just a quick tennis update. As we head to the news, uh, Djokovic, uh, he's not lying down. Uh, he's won two games in a row. It's now 5-4, Medvedev, 15 love up, serving for the title. It's uh, 10.30 here on SENZ. The panel. Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah. 
with Jim Kays this morning and Kimberley Downs. And uh, Kimberley, I imagine that you uh, watched a little bit of uh, Australia against the Springboks last <laughs> night. And for Dave, Dave Rennie, something finally to smile about. But it took a bit of Quade Cooper magic for that to happen. What about that performance from Cooper coming back after, I think, around about 1,520 days uh, in between test matches for him? Yeah, I think it was 1,531, I think, if we're going to get specific. Um, yeah, no, I was glued to every second of that test. It was really compelling, wasn't it? And just before you even get to the Quade Cooper element, obviously having the spring box uh, and everything that that entails and then the Wallabies off the back of their three test losses and whether they would be able to back that up now that they were up against a different team. But, man, how good rugby, first of all, Wade Cooper story coming back after all of that time and it's just it wasn't even about composure it's also I think about how much he has grown and changed as a person and how much that came across in what he did last night I mean his kicking game obviously um on form the entire night when you watched him when, when you watched him line up Final penalty. There didn't look to be an ounce, any sort of nerves about him. And I think he's really like, it, it, it takes one, it, it's one thing I think to say that, you know, life is bigger than rugby and it's about more than just the moment and all of that sort of stuff. It's another thing to really believe it. And I think what we saw last night was him believing it and for the sake of the game just what a story what a compelling story how good for rugby how good for Australian rugby and like to say how good for Dave Rennie as well who I think I mean many of us are Dave Rennie fans aren't we so we want to see him do well and it's just so good to see that team finally get across the line. Jim it was interesting he put his faith in uh, Lollisia for uh, the first half of the season uh, it would have been a difficult cons- mm. uh, decision I guess for Dave Rennie to go back on that and go to Quade Cooper who's sort of been floating around the squad now for uh, about a month Um, but uh, it appears that it's the right rein and and something finally for Renz. Yeah it's interesting isn't it I read a really uh, really intriguing piece from Andrew Mertens in the Sydney Morning Herald where he talked about you know what you sort of touched on there and what does he do now with Lawless here and and also James O'Connor and Quade Cooper, if you look ahead to the World Cup, and Mertz made the point that Quade Cooper's probably not the man who's going to win you a, a World Cup. But he argued that Lawless here might be. Um, so, I, yeah, it, it'll be fascinating to see what, what Dave Rennie does. Um, you know, Quade Cooper, we know he, he's, he's a handy player. He's not that great on defence. They didn't have to do much of that last night because they co- sort of covered that hole for him. Um but I think Renz has got to take the goal kicking off Lawless here and, and let him play, let him start, let him get the Aussie backline firing because I tend to agree with what Andrew Mertens wrote that if you look ahead, Quade Cooper is not going to be your answer. You've got to go for someone who's going to really ignite that backline. I found last night's game phenomenally boring. I actually went to bed at halftime and watched the second half as the highlights this morning on Sky Sport. And... You know, that was almost an un-Australian type of attack. They just didn't really have anything apart from uh, a couple of the, the big lads that they've got um, that they throw the ball to, and, and, and that's about it. And yeah, yeah, I just think that if Australia is going to succeed, they need to find a little bit more rhythm, a little bit more attacking flair, a little bit more uh, excitement in their game. And, and, and Lola here will probably 
bring that, but just don't let him be the goal kicker. <laughs> I was going to ask you uh, about that, yeah, I mean, because he kicks so well against the French. But Kimberley, uh, we have to watch, uh, you know, most of us have to watch these games because it's part of uh, our job to, to look at it and find questions out of it. Are you finding rugby? I mean, that was a double header yesterday. Uh, was it t- a tough watch in the end because of the length of the game and the way the game is being officiated these days? Um, interesting, actually, because I I disagree entirely with Jim in terms of the uh, interest level in the South Africa Australia test. I found it pretty compelling. I was glued to it most of the way through, and. I, I mean, maybe it was less about the style of play for me than the fact that it was actually a tight contest all the way through, which I liked. Um, I thought the officiating from Luke Pierce was actually pretty refreshing uh, in many ways. He seemed to have kind of a, a, a very um, good control of things. I do think uh, your point about the duration of the game, though, holds pretty true. I felt that particularly the second half... Uh, of the All Blacks test felt like it dragged a lot, and I think the game entirely ended up taking what was it, about two hours, two hours fifteen or something like that, um, which is a real shame in that sort of contest when you had seen, you know, some really great attacks from the All Blacks and some fantastic tries. I mean, we haven't even mentioned the Bowden Barrett offload in this conversation yet, but I mean, you know, moments like that, just absolute magic. So yeah, I think. Your first point around them taking too long and some of that officiating perhaps taking too long, a few too many trips um, up to the TMO for my liking personally, um, that point certainly holds true. But in, in terms of the two contests that we saw last night, I actually, I really enjoyed them. Mm. Okay, Jimmy, I'll give you the final say on this uh, this morning. Uh, Medvedev has won, by the way, folks. He's won in straight sets, six four, six four, six four. I'm just seeing shots, Jim. You might be watching it as well. Of an almost inconsolable, inconsolable uh, Novak Djokovic uh, crying big tears into his towel there at one point. Uh, man, I, I guess the realization that the slam is not going to be his. The money doesn't matter. Uh, what, that is a totally different scenario to the joy we saw in the women's final. Yeah, it is. He's he's still on uh, twenty with um, with Roger Federer and um, and Rafael Nadal. And, you know that's a tremendous effort. But you 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 sort of touch on it's not the money for these guys; it's the achievement. And and I think also the fact that he just didn't really fire too many shots. He was completely outplayed by Medvedev. Uh, but yeah, you do contrast it to yesterday. And and just one more point on yesterday and, and the joy that those two young young women brought. Uh, you also had Fernandez, who spoke so beautifully afterwards and asked for the microphone back and said, you know, to the to the New York, uh, to you people here in New York, you know, around 9-11, you've shown so much resilience in the last 20 years. I hope I could show that sort of resilience. What a what a level of poise and maturity we saw from those two young women yesterday. Absolutely fantastic. And I guess you see now from Novak Djokovic the the emotion of defeat when, when, when you really want to win and you really want to have that, that, um, that Grand Slam and, and that record of 21, it would be uh, all to yourself. So good to see, in a, in a way, Smithy, that the, that the emotion of the game still is important to him, you know, rather than mm. uh, other things. Because he's heavily criticised Novak Djokovic, so, uh, you know, maybe showing that sort of human side uh, might bring a few people back onto his side. Hope so, Jim. Thank you very much for your contribution this morning, and to you, Kimberly, as always, uh, very, very uh, appreciative of your time this morning. So, thank you 
both. Uh, that was the panel today. We'll have another one uh, about the same time tomorrow morning. It's 10.40 here on SENZ. You're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Just repeating the news that uh, Medvedev has beaten Djokovic very, very comfortably and straight set 6-4, Billy Horschel, another American uh, event, or American on show last night, ended up winning the uh, the Tour PGA uh, Tournament Championship title for Europe uh, last night when uh, he won the BMX. Uh, He was tied with a group on 18-under going down the last, which is a par 5 at Wentworth, and hit a wedge about 8 inches from the pin. Uh, made his birdie, and uh, that was it. Horschel actually, incidentally, uh, his bag sports the colours and the emblem of his favourite English football club, West Ham United. There's something I didn't know. But at the end of that, John, um, that was the signal for Paddock Harrington to name his Ryder Cup team for Europe. Uh, and some interesting ones in there because uh, he had uh, picks, Captain picks. He chose Sergio Garcia, uh, Ian Poulter, and Shane Lowry, of course, who was the... Uh, he, sh- he chose Lowry really uh, in preference to Justin Rose, of course, a vastly experienced Ryder Cup player. Uh, he had automatic selections in uh, Bernd Biesberger, Lee Westwood, Matt Fitzpatrick, and Tyrrell Hatton. They got the other follow- uh, qui- uh, qualifying places. Uh, Ram, McElroy, Fleetwood, Hovland, and Casey make up the rest of his team to take on the United States at Whistling Straits not too far away now. I think on um, 21st of September it starts. Yeah, I reckon if you've got John Rahm in your team, you're pretty good. Aren't you? You're a pretty good shot at winning. Is he the hottest golfer in the world? I know he probably hasn't won the majors, but every tournament he seems to be there or thereabouts. He got COVID twice, Smithy, this year, but mm. he just seems to be so good at the moment. And I'd be putting my money after seeing the European team. I think the American team came out on Friday. I'd be going Europe. Okay, well, Europe uh, generally... They tend to mesh together better. Um, and, and it's noticeable that in the American team, Patrick Reed, who they called Captain America there for a while, he missed the cut on that team. But they're going to have issues, of course, because they have DeChambeau, Bryson DeChambeau, and, uh, and Brooks Kepter in the same outfit. Now, whether that whole thing is genuine, that feud, I don't know. But they spend a lot of time in team rooms uh, getting each other fired up for this Ryder Cup thing. Um, I can't imagine that Steve Stricker will play them together. That would be the ultimate test, I would think. Uh, but uh, they're going to have to gel. And I think Europe, over the years, have just tended to get their act together quicker. Uh, and for that reason, I think they win. Simple as that. I think the golfers, there's not much in between the golfers. They're all great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what what happens, like, Smithy, your team of the 80s, like, were, your cricket team were so good. But, uh, you know, um, hearing stories, like... That, you know, they weren't the most like gelled team of all time. Like, you're a, a lot of individuals in a team coming together. With, mm-hmm. Is that correct in saying about that team in the 80s? And you kind of, um, you know, you went about it differently to say the Black Caps team of today do. And maybe that's the way the American team is, you know, like they can have big personalities in their team, but when they come together, they can get the job done. Yeah, I think it's a fair point. Back in the 80s, uh, you know, there was three or four guys who actually played cricket for a living. They were genuine professional cricketers. Um, the rest of us um, went back to work on Monday, uh, on Monday morning, you know, back at the bank or the, wherever, cars, selling cars or selling insurance, whatever you do. Uh, that, that whilst it was a, a thing we wanted to do, it was our preference, but it didn't pay the bills. Whereas uh, there was a faction of the team where it did pay the bills, so you know they were more professional. So there's always going to be a split there uh, when it comes to you know attitudes and and uh, the feeling within the team, but. You're right, it was a team full of individuals. Um, I'm not sure that 
you know, great friendships were made out of that team from the 80s. No, but there's great respect and uh, always that great camaraderie to the extent that they, um, uh, the guys within that group sort of know exactly what they were able to achieve and break down a few barriers. So, yeah, I, I think you make a, a fairly good point there, but getting, getting the team feeling uh, very quickly is something that both of those Ryder, cap, uh, Ryder Cup captains uh, will be working on, I'm sure, right now. It's 10.50 here on SENZ, and when we return... Uh, Louis Herman Watt and a visit to the TAB are on the agenda. The voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Well, Louis Herman Watt joins us. Uh, thanks very much for deputising for me this morning. Louis, that's uh, great doing a little bit of overtime, but uh, your colleague who's uh, in the UAE at the moment, uh, one Brendan Baz McCullum, may well have a runner in the Melbourne Cup. I'm looking at defibrillate. was uh, an outstanding run at the weekend. Yeah, yeah, bang on, Smithy. Good to have you back on the airwaves, and apologies to Goose and everyone else that I tipped into Novak Djokovic. I didn't realise he was going to do his best impersonation of me playing tennis um, today against Medvedev, but well done, Danielle. Uh, Defibrillate flew in the last. I had Skyman as my best of the day in our tipping comp that I'm in, and I thought, oh, I'm a chance looking doing the math. I thought I was a chance to creep into the top five here. The cash came for Skyman. Uh, it had, had such a good last start rating and performance, and it just didn't work. But Defibrillate wound up late and being a shocking. Um, so, yeah, Stallion, who breeds Melbourne and won a Melbourne Cup, right, and has bred staying and successful stayers over and over. I think Richie, Paddy Payne, Baz, Lance O'Sullivan, everyone in this horse are very confident it's going to get a trip, and it just seems to be going from strength to strength. And what a performer it's been in these Metro meetings on Saturdays in Victoria for this great set of owners, and they have so much fun racing it. It's exciting stuff, isn't it, Smithy? It is indeed. Uh, I mean, you know, I think Baz goes every year to the Melbourne Cup, so COVID... uh uh, if you can, uh, with the COVID restrictions, of course, uh, you've got to be able to get home as well. But uh, to actually have a runner in the race would be absolutely outstanding. Uh, uh, look, uh, they, they took the 21s on incentivised going into the Caulfield Cup. They look It looks pretty good money now. That wasn't its genuine distance at the weekend. Uh, held on well uh, to win that race and now looks very, very good value at 21s, doesn't it? Incentivised for the Caulfield Cup. Wow, and the Melbourne Cup. I mean, can you believe how tough this horse was? We spoke about it on Friday, Smithy. We didn't know how proven it was. Well, it wasn't really. It had beaten up a bunch of nothings up in, in Queensland, but just done it with such emphatic fashion. But the thing is, it's got there to the lead, and it's kind of had an off-and-on tempo with a bunch of good horses, Tafane, Moonga, Sir Dragon A, Aegon, um, unfortunately fell out the back. Some nice proper Group 1 horses behind it, and the off-and-on tempo into the wind, but it just kept giving under Brett Preble. And if you've got a staying type in those kind of mile races in the Group 1 company, as long as they hang tough and show that they have got fitness and can keep can keep finding the line, that's what you want to see. But the fact is they've won a Group 1, a million-dollar Group 1, as a lead-up to their bigger targets. Mm. I mean, what an exciting time it is with Incentivise. I thought Maunga flashing home for second was just wow. I thought, what a run. And I thought Sir Dragonet getting back to its best as well. And Tafane will lose Noah Myers. But yeah, great Group 1 weekend of racing, Smithy. Well, uh, I can tell you right here and now, uh, Louis, I was going to ask you on, about on trivia. I'll ask you about that tomorrow. 
because that performance will still just be just as good tomorrow anyway. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 11.03 here on this side of the Tasman, a good deal earlier, where Andrew Voss is as he joins us this morning to look back on the, the weekend that was in the NRL. And I think, by and large, it lived up to expectations. There was the odd predictable result. There was uh, very tight games um, and one turn-up, one absolute turn-up, I, I think, on form anyway. Vossie, let's start with the Friday night ga- uh, game. Good morning to you. The Storm 40, the Eagles 12. The Eagles really didn't do themselves any favours, did they? Ah, uh, Smithy, good morning to you. Look, I, I thought it was a remarkable first weekend, to be honest. I mean, I, I know it's cliche to say it's an all-new competition, but it really was. The, the tension of the football, the drama that came with it, the, the chance of upset results, uh, a little bit of controversy of all, starting with Friday night, I, I, I do believe coaching masterclass. Craig Bellamy, the game plan that Melbourne had the execution of it. We learned that all week they had um, they used all their players outside of the squad, outside of the starting 17, opposed sessions, playing the roles of Tom Trebojevic. This is how we'll play Manly. Like, it was specific to that. And the players then executed the game plan. I don't know whether I've seen a finals performance so comprehensive, but it went right down to the last minute, Smithy. They were still mm. smashing their opponents. They were reading the play. They were so dialed in. Um, such commitment, obvious favourites for the Premiership, um, masterclass by Melbourne, both from coach and players. It was so convincing. And uh, Manly, well, they'll have to hope that it was an off night and they come up with a few answers this week. Otherwise, they will be out in straight games. Well, uh, it was an odd night for Manly. I look at, uh, I, you know, they must have known that Bellamy would have a strategy. But, gee, they made some mistakes. They played into their hands on, you know, on a lot of occasions. And I thought, yeah, Melbourne just don't need that help. They just simply don't. Oh no! Well, it was a bit. It really was a bit of case of uh, deer in the headlights, to be honest. And and you know the first try mm. was evidence of that. Morgan Harper, you know, first time in finals football, you know, has been a rock solid centre all year. But this is the biggest match of his life. And you know, early drop ball. It was mainly just going a bit sideways. They just didn't earn the right to do that. And before you know it, you're down sixteen nil. And yeah, you know, we've seen that with other sides this year, but. The fact that Manly, you know, they, their, their main man, Tom Trebojevic, could not get into the game. I looked at the stats. I'm calling the game. 20 minutes into the second half, Manly needing to, to mount some sort of comeback. Tom Trebojevic had had one run in 20 minutes. He only had four runs in the second half. He was just picked off uh, by Melbourne. Their kicking game. Sometimes they put it over the sideline, take him out of the play. They kick the corners. Um, I, I just thought, and, and when they did get him, you know, they, they worked him over. I mean, players like Remus Smith, played as tough as they've played. You know, real finals football approach mentality by Melbourne, so committed and way too good for Manly. So Melbourne earned the right um, for a week off. And as I say, they are definitely the premiership favourites uh, to win. Let's look at uh, a real thriller, the Roosters against the Titans. The Roosters were pretty warm favourites going into it uh, and perhaps should not have won. Uh, right at the very end, uh, if you recall that, uh, Patrick Herbert, that centre not passing to the winger. I've never seen a winger look so dark with a teammate. Um, basically, it was just a huge draw and pass situation. He'd done the hard work. Uh, Titans would have won. Well, it wasn't a two-on-one. It was a three-on-one. And while you're saying, you know, pass to Corey Thompson, and he eventually tried to. You had David Fafita right beside him. Has Patrick not seen David Fafita play this year? I mean, David Fafita from 10 metres out, 
it wouldn't have mattered if the Roosters were able to set up a bazooka or, or came out with pickaxes. They weren't going to stop him. He just scores. Just give the ball to David. They score. They win. Now, I will temper that somewhat, and we've all had it. I guess, you know, Patrick Herbert is being highlighted as, as one of the murdered tries of all time, but the Roosters were all offside, and I'm a bit disappointed that, you know, in such a big moment. I mean, they were offside on the short side. They are offside on the open side that that could be put away, you know, with a game on the line. And I do feel sorry that Titans, the field goal player, I've got to say, Smithy, it's the biggest contradiction in rugby league, uh, that we review everything in a try-scoring play, and I mean everything. We go over things with, you know, forensic detail. Yet on a field goal scoring play, to not check it, and, and Roosters quite obviously put up a wall, and three players just you standing like statues around the ruck, um, you know, it needs review. It needs to be addressed. And I think we're reaching the point where I know it'll spoil the moment. You know, like it could be a field goal to win a game, but you can't check every moment of a try and everything that leads up to a try and yet just dismiss field goals and say, oh, no, that's all fair. You know, it's all done by the book. I think we're at a stage when we have, when we have a bunker, we do have to review our field goal plays to, on whether they're legal or illegal. Okay, let's get to uh, the Rabbitohs beating the Panthers. You talk about a coaching masterclass with Bellany. Was uh, what about Wayne Bennett's uh, his his effort to, to knock over a hot favourite in the Panthers? Oh, Wayne Bennett, he, he won on the field, uh, and, and you know highlighted by the selection of Blake Taft, the young fella at fullback. South can't win without Latrell Mitchell. Can't win. How many times have we heard it on set? You know, like you you doubted the Rabbitohs. Wayne Bennett put his faith in a kid, Blake Taft. Um, he pl- had played his card very close to his chest the previous weekend, um, but put his faith in the kid. The kid's repaid him in time. You know, wonderful performance by the young bloke after he dropped that early bomb from Nathan Cleary. Shows that he's got a bit of character. Um, and then after the game, uh, uh, Wayne Bennett wins off the field as well in the press conference. He, he's, and he's got Penrith now. He's in their heads. South aren't playing Penrith this weekend and, and wouldn't have to play them again until potentially the grand final. But he's in Penrith's head. I mean, he's done all the other clubs. Um, he's done Parramatta a favour because Wayne Bennett has put doubts around Penrith and, and he was really short and sharp with his answers in the press conference. Now, Wayne Bennett's reminded us all that even at, what, 71 years of age, he's still a master. And I tell you what, I can't believe he's not coaching next year. Can you use with him? You know, that, that no, Wayne I Bennett, can't. when we're talking about teams with, um, you know, question marks over them, and here's Wayne Bennett without a job next year. Wow. I mean... That can't be. <laughs> Someone's got to get him, surely. Get something at him. Oh, he's, he's obviously hugely, hugely special. He's got something that uh, guys will just die for. And, you know, and a coach, those kind of qualities cannot be denied. The Eels 28, the Knights 20. So that means, of course, that uh, the Eels hang in there and they get to play the Panthers next weekend on Saturday night. We'll talk about that shortly. But the final game of the round, what did you make of that? Oh, well, look, I suppose you're a temperate. Newcastle haven't been great, and Parramatta have taken, you know, right to the last few minutes and a penalty try at the finish, which I think was deserved. Um, but Parramatta took an awful long time to get on top. You know, they didn't kick away. Um, they, were, they were 12 in front, and then Knight scored two tries. So it's not overly convincing, but within the performance, I think there were more encouraging signs. I think there is improvement in Parramatta, and at least they're on the way up rather than limping out, which was looking the case, you know, only a month ago. But they've had that win over Melbourne since. They beat the Cowboys, then they beat Melbourne. They rested their players for the last round. 
And I thought yesterday the biggest positive was Mitchell Moses to suddenly see the halfback running. If he takes that same confidence in against Penrith, they are a chance. So, you know, I see signs at Parramatta. They're in better shape right now going into week two of the finals when I had them, you know, basically... Look, they were a chance like they had first week on their form a month ago, but they've turned things around and I think there's further improvement in them. So, you know, if I'm a Parramatta fan, um, I'm pretty excited about this week. Well, if, uh, at least this week... Um, well, at least over the weekend, if, if you lost, if you were... Manly, or if you lost to the Panthers, you do get a second bite of the cherry. Uh, the Seagulls' second bite of the cherry is the Roosters on Friday night. Somehow they're going to get Trevojevic back into the game to be a factor, but how do you see that going? Well, the Roosters are the team that's had the character this year with all the adversity, but you know, big match players. I thought James Tedesco against the Titans was just superb. I mean, and, and last week we had Trevojevic via Ryan Pappenhausen, and even though the fullbacks don't meet too often head-to-head on the field. Pappenhausen was outstanding. Tedesco was outstanding. I'm thinking both Tom Trevojevic, he'll, he'll have to be fired up. Well, he's taken the blame himself. He said, I just didn't get involved enough myself. Um, whereas Tedesco was just all over the field for the Roosters. He's developed a good uh, grubber kick in his game as well, James Tedesco. So big match players at the Roosters still getting them there. You know, Josh Morris experience out in the centres. I, I, look, if we get have a golden point game, this might be it. Um, Roosters Manly I, I just think with everything on the line and sudden death and you know even though Manly uh, I thought they were a chance to beat Melbourne it didn't prove it that way now that the Roosters have won and Manly's lost that maybe momentum goes with the with the Roosters I'm, I, I'm tempted to tip the Roosters to win and in the local betting markets in Australia they're listed as a $31 chance to win the premiership they could be in the, the last four the Roosters which will be a, a, you know incredible achievement by their coach Trent Robinson, the players that have remained fit this season. Panthers Eels on Saturday night, um, and then of course they go on for the following weekend uh, to play uh, the Rabbits and the Storm. So the Panthers can they turn it round? Yeah, well now Penrith jump over to the Melbourne side of the draw, so we can't have Melbourne beat Penrith in the grand final, which I think is a little disappointing. That you know you can have twenty five weeks. And then in one weekend, you ruin the chance of one playing two in the grand final. I, you know, that's just me as a footy fan talking about that. Um, Penrith, surely they don't put... Well, see, the, the most alarming thing out of Penrith on the weekend was they only scored the one try. They were kept scoreless in the second half. Now, that's a little bit of baggage to take into week two of the finals. It's only you're wondering whether everything that's worked for us during the year, we get to the big stage and it didn't quite work. But... But I'm thinking Nathan Cleary steps up this week and, and, uh, and, and bounces back to his dominant best. Not that he would play poorly, but to be, to be more dominant, to take the reins. I was really disappointed. I've got to call as you see it. James Fisher-Harris will be hurting today. He's, he's been the premier front row in the competition, or one of them, all season. And he was out-muscled, out-powered by the Rabbitohs. I mean, Tom Burgess, uh, Junior Totola, they were fantastic for South. So... Yeah, I think there's some players ready to bounce back. Their, their qualities will be on show this week. I think, again, a tight game, but I might just go Penrith to beat Parramatta in that one. So that would mean uh, Penrith playing Melbourne, and I'm saying Roosters maybe against the Rabbitohs. What a terrific uh, last four it would be. No matter what combination we have for the preliminary finals, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. You asked the question, uh, Bossy, before, can you believe that Wayne Bennett hasn't got a coaching gig next year. Well, one of our uh, listeners has texted in and said, 
What about the Warriors to sign Wayne Bennett in some capacity? He wants to be based in Queensland, and the Warriors are based there in 2022. Wow. Yeah. So uh, yeah. what do you think? What do you think? He's had New Zealand well, connections. you know what? That, that's, that's an well, the, re- the reason Wayne doesn't have a coaching job for next year, too, is because he's banking on, you know, expansion club coming into the competition, and he'd be there at the, you know, the foundation of that. Um, if they if they bring in another team, but I love the idea and the fact that Wayne has form from a Kiwi point of view. I mean, he was there mm. as an assist to Stephen Kearney at the 08 World Cup. That's an outstanding suggestion from from the listener. Um, and uh, Wayne Bennett with Nathan Brown, the Warriors. Wow, why not bring bring him in? Bring him in. <laughs> Bossy, thank you very much for your time uh, this morning. As usual, looking forward to your calls next weekend as uh, the action hots up uh, even more so. Folks, 88-8833, as I like to say it, three, as the bosses like to say it, uh, is the text number, so uh, get hold of us. Um, uh, your thoughts, Wayne Bennett at the Warriors, would you welcome that as a possibility? I, I certainly would, and I'm sure uh, it might make uh, Nathan Brown a little bit Nervous as a head coach to have someone of that kind of caliber floating around, but to to be fair, um, it works, and he has got the Midas touch when it comes to getting the best out of uh, a rugby league team. So uh, maybe you want to talk about Wayne Bennett uh, possibly signing with the Warriors. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the way Big Brody Retallick led the All Blacks? Uh, if uh, the the All Black captains aren't back, in other words, um, the previous ones, um, would you keep Brody as captain? Um, you know, it, it certainly brings out the best in him, and the best in him is something damn special. Uh, it's eleven sixteen here on SENZ. Mike, you're in safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Goose has texted in straight away. The last thing I want is Bennett at the Warriors. Uh, he has a proven record taking players with him due to the good relationships he builds with players. He would gut the Warriors, basically when he moves on to the expansion club. Uh, another uh, caller has, uh, didn't want to be identified, but said he doesn't care if Bennett was to do that because uh, this caller suggested he would sacrifice anything just to get one premiership title. I mean, he, he, he basically said he wasn't able to hang around and talk to us, but he basically said they've been um, building up, uh, promising things since 1995. How about just one title? How about one of those titles? Uh, excellent call that was too, by the way, uh, and very, very passionate uh, about uh, the, the way that the Warriors are going about things. How do you read that, uh, JD? Would would you be happy with Wayne Bennett at the Warriors, uh, or, or should he just go to Manly and fix all your problems? God, we've got too many problems, Smithy, after Friday. Holy smokes. Um, it's uh, You've done well not to gloat, actually, all morning. Uh, Melbourne mm. were just absolutely clinical, and the harder Manly tried the worse they got. And, um, yeah, in terms of Wayne Bennett, I think the Warriors are that desperate. Um, they would give all their players away for one premiership. When you haven't won a premiership once, you've you got to do it by any means necessary. And Wayne Bennett is the best in the business. He showed it again at the weekend. I loved how he schooled Ivan Cleary in the post-media press conference. Um, and he is the coach. Him and Bellamy are, are miles above anyone else in the comp. Des Hasler's got a pretty good record as well, and Nathan Brown does not, Smithy, have a very good record, and he's got a lot of rebuilding to do next year without Roger Tuivasa-Sheck, so, man, if you can get Wayne Bennett on board as a consultant, as the water boy, as whatever you can get him on board as, uh, it is well and truly worth it, because he is a winner. 
He finds a way to win. He finds a way to get the best out of his uh, players. And he wouldn't take any rubbish like the Warriors dished up in their last game, all those uh, guys losing the plot. I don't think they'd lose the plot if Wayne Bennett's their coach, Smithy. Would you keep uh, Brody Retallick as captain on that evidence? Would, would you, or you'd just go back to Artie or go back to someone else? Give Bodie a turn. I mean, it, it's basically getting to that point. So, uh, admittedly, though, I've got to, would you give, would you play Brodie Retallick this weekend? That's another factor, I suppose. Or would you give the big boy a breather? He thrives on work. He's getting better every week. Um, uh, he probably would say, "No, I don't want to. Re- I don't want to rest." Sometimes coaches have to be a bit more authoritative than that. What do you? What, how do you read the Retallick and the captaincy situation? Yeah, really interesting point you bring up. There, Smithy, um, 39-0 suggests to me we can rest some people this week against Argentina, and I think Brody would be one of them. I just wonder how much um, Artie getting that head knock has changed their plans. I guess he can come back in and get some more game time this weekend while Brody takes a breather. He's just in such good form again. I mean, fast forward to when we first saw him uh, this year, back from Japan, just wasn't making those hits as we'd expect him to, wasn't clearing bodies the way we thought he would. Uh, but it hasn't taken him long to get back to just as good as we know Brody Retallick can be. And it's what we've been missing, I think, in the last season and a half is that Brody Retallick, that mongrel, someone who can hurt people, someone who can scare the opposition. He just hangs around those rucks, Smithy, and he just belts anything that moves with the ball. It's quite amazing and I think for me very inspirational as a leader. So I'd be interesting to hear what you think as well. I think you can rest a lot of people now and you can keep them fresh and ready for that massive challenge, that 100th test against the Springboks. Knowing that we're already down on a few of our A-team, uh, you can give some of our guys a rest and know that we can hit that game running and with our best um, players with heaps of uh, fuel left in the tank. Well, you, it's, you look at it that way. You can look at it that way. You can also look at the point uh, where Ian Foster is still trying to make his way in terms of you know, getting respect. Um, and the one thing that you, you get respect from is a, an, a really impressive strike rate for winning. Wasn't that the thing for Steve Hansen? Over 90%. It was perhaps uh, of all sporting teams around the world the highest one, uh, particularly in international sport anyway. Uh, and I think uh, Ian Foster needs that. And let's not forget that was about this time last year Argentina did trip us up, make a bit of history. Uh, Ian Foster will have been hurt by that, being the first coach to lose to them. So I'm not quite sure that he's going to risk too many. The other thing to consider is also the fact that when those players come back and they they are going to rejoin the fold, Uh, even Sam Kane talking about rejoining the fold, we heard this morning, uh, perhaps we're looking at that USA game. So, uh, you know, those kind of players that are coming back from injury, coming back from uh, the birth of their children, are going to go into the side anyway. And that's when I think you might be able to perhaps rest. But you can't really rest against the Springboks. And you don't want to lose momentum going into the Springboks. So that's the kind of thing you really do have to consider from a coaching point of view. Uh, and and I'm, in terms of, the, I'd be quite happy to see Brodie Retallick I'd quite, as captain and go out again and, and do that. Uh, they won't. Uh, here's a uh, text come in a couple of actually. They won't play Brody this week as they were one of both games uh, against South Africa in the Northern Tour. So uh, that's picking up on your point, John. Uh, I think that's valid as well. There's a possibility they might rest them, uh, but you don't want to give. I don't think you want to give Argentina the sniff of blood because when they get the sniff, they are tough. They are very, very tough. You keep them down, uh, they stay down. Uh, use the money from Gus Gould for Wayne Bennett. 
says uh, another one of our texters there. Um, is there any left in the pot? That's the big thing. Is there any left in the pot? <laughs> uh, I think Uncle Gus probably chewed up quite a bit of that coin. Um, yeah, and he's got a big job with the Bulldogs. Um, yeah, I, I think some like we've got eight props, Smithy, so we can rotate those guys. I think for sure, and I think Fords are a bit different. Like I think Bowden Barrett definitely like keep him out there. Uh, keep him going. He's getting better and better with every game. Have we figured out why he's not goal-kicking very well, though, Smithy? This is something that's always plagued Bowden Barrett. Um, it, we're hearing calf strains uh, last night and last week. Um, is it something he should just give up completely and just go, I'm not a goal-kicker anymore, but, man, am I a fantastic playmaker? So he kind of gets rid of that baggage because it seems like yeah. his last two weeks he's been 10 out of 10, but his goal-kicking's been less than five out of ten, really. So, is it something he should look at, maybe giving up permanently? Well, it makes me nervous. It makes me nervous on the big occasions. I have to say, uh, it's almost a, a bit of a squint when Bowden's lining up a really key conversion. You almost a bit of a squint. You only want to watch it out of one eye, sort of thing, uh, because it is quite nerve wracking. Because his, his record isn't great, uh, and Foxy, what was it this time last week? Foxy telling us that he felt there might be a, a, a small injury issue. Well, he was right. There is obviously quite a, and, and you've got an injury issue in your calf or in your groin and you're a kicker. It's got to be on your mind. So that can't help with confidence. Uh, he's sure he puts the work in. Absolutely no problem that the, the level of work he puts in, uh, trying to get it right. But you cannot simulate. You cannot simulate. And people try this, but you cannot simulate the big occasion. You can't invent that, John. So issues, absolute issues. Yeah, absolutely, Smithy. And, but it's, it's the only one for Bowden Barrett. Uh, I've been really impressed as well with him. Like this, this tour has started off so well. Like you talk about Ian Foster and wanting to build momentum. He's got two great victories built on great defence. The the attacks humming, uh, and he's got some players who are great players and who had to stand up in the uh, absence of the other senior players and Brody Retallick and Bowden Barrett. And they're both hitting their straps well and truly. And some of those fringe players are stepping up as well. So, so far, so good. And then you look at the Springboks, who can only score three tries from uh, driving malls and nothing else, Smithy. I know that uh, they outscored the Wallabies three tries to one, but um, three tries from driving malls. Is that all the Springboks have? If I'm the defence coach, I'm not. Uh, if I'm Scott McLeod, I'm not getting too worried about what the Springboks are going to bring in a couple of weeks' time. I was worried at the start of the year, but not so much anymore. Fair enough. Fair enough, John. Okay. Uh, it's 11.30 here on SENZ. Uh, it's time to stump Smithy. Light the lines up and see if you can win 50 bucks from the TAB. Good luck. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Here we go. Time to give away some more cash here on SENZ. Same time every day, 11.30. We go 50 bucks from the TAB. Away to a lucky listener. That's if you're good enough to stump Smithy. Elliot, you're coming back for another bite at the cherry, are you? Back for redemption. Yeah, you got you came unstuck last time. You got stumped. Just remind us what happened. Uh, I was on the one of them tennis questions. Smithy got me the first time round. Yeah, yeah. Straight sets to Smithy. It was Daniil Medvedev and you were Novak Djokovic. But you'll have different sports today. So. Your sports today, Elliot from Auckland, are rugby union, cricket, or golf? Uh, rugby union. Rugby union. Keep it solid. What did you think of the ABs last night? Uh, wasn't that interesting, to be honest. Because too easy, or? 
the league final is a bit more exciting. <laughs> Certainly was. Four great games over the weekend, although we won't talk about Manly too much. All right, let's get started. All right, rugby union for Elliot. Out for redemption. Question number one. Which Argentinian loose forward has signed for the Crusaders for next year's Super Rugby season? Pablo, I forgot the joker's last name. Martinez. What do you reckon, Smithy? Oh yeah, he's on. He knows exactly who it is. We just uh, it's Pablo Montero. But we're going to give that to you. Yeah. We will. We will. Just a couple oh, of chips yeah. down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Pablo Montoya sounds like maybe a, a gangster out of a some sort of movie. Yeah. Yeah, starring well, Al Pacino, Scarface. Yeah. Anyway, question number two. Four All Blacks made their test debuts during the Flower Bomb Test against the Springboks in 1981. The 40-year anniversary was yesterday. Name one of those All Blacks who named their de- uh, made their debut back in 1981. Uh. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Close to that era. Uh, yeah, but no, not Grant Fox. Smithy, a chance for a stumping. Mm, interesting this. I'm not Googling either, folks, because everyone thinks when you there's a bit of a delay that you're actually mucking around on your phone Googling. Um, I actually got one in mind. I've got one in mind. Um, but I'm not sure four of them. Four of them, man. I'll go Jeff Old. There he goes! All the way! Up into the stand! One ahead in the first tier! That's hitting a cricket ball. Jeff Old is correct. Gary Wheaton as well. Steve Porkity and Frank Shelford were the four debutants that day. Unlucky Elliot. You're going to have to try again for double redemption. Oh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> Unlucky, mate. Unlucky. Which means... Joel from Auckland, you just need to answer one question and you win 50 bucks thanks to the TAB. Yeah, I've got to go. You've got to go? You can't play the quiz? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. All right, well, what are you busy doing? Are you yeah. one of those guys working and winning money from SCNZ at the same time? Yeah, double dipping, mate. <laughs> Love it. Hope you're paying tax on this 50 bucks you might win then from the TAB. Uh, your question... Better not. Your question is To take the fitty Who has scored the most points In Argentinian rugby history Be that um, First five Um, No I'll go Sanchez Can't remember the name of the other guy So what is your answer Sanchez Just a couple of chips down the wicket Right in the slot and away it goes. Nicolas Sanchez scored all 25 points last time against the All Blacks when they beat them. Didn't score any last night because he got injured in a record-breaking game and Argentina scored no points. So, Joel, you win, mate. It's that easy. Thank you very much. No worries, mate. Enjoy the rest of your day at work and stay on the line and give us your details. All right, Smithy. Cheers, mate. Go. Have a good one. Yep, we will. Thanks very much uh, for that and congratulations. And uh, yeah, Elliot, make sure you have another crack. I was, I was actually tossing up between Jeff Old and, um, and someone else and I went for Old. So uh, that was just, a, uh, I was a little, bit, a little bit lucky because the other one wouldn't have been right. That was going to be Lockie Cameron. That wouldn't have been right. So um, yeah, hard luck, Elliot. Right, make sure you call it again. We've got a lot of texts coming in on the issue of uh, Brody as captain and Bowden's kicking style. 
um, and Quade Cooper as well. So keep them coming in. Uh, and then uh, we've also got a tip as well, I think, a racing tip at uh, Cambridge uh, to pass on to you as well from Pete. So uh, that, that and more very shortly. Australia, good weight, they come right through, White's over the top, looking for the turnover, looking for the penalty, he gets the result! Quade Cooper, for the win, it's on its way, it's on its way, it's good! Quade Cooper is the man! Quade Cooper is the man, alright, uh, he is... Well, he is. He's a hot topic at the moment. This is the Quade Cooper they wouldn't give citizenship to not that long ago. I wonder if he applied today how he'd get on. He'd certainly get the vote of uh, the rugby union and uh, maybe someone in his electorate or whatever might just throw him a reference. But he uh, he was fantastic. Um, so what uh, Grant has said from Melbourne, this is Kiora Smithy. Quade Cooper proved how important a kicker is. He says, Geordie's the man. Cheers. Uh, that's his opinion on that particular issue. So uh, I really... I really quite enjoyed that performance by Quade Cooper, actually. It's it's all a little bit romantic in a way. I know he's had his issues, um, you know, particularly with uh, the Richie McCaw kind of thing a, a few years back. But to come from 1,530-odd days out away from international rugby and be put on the spot like that um, to beat against all odds, really, because, you know, I, I think the, the Springboks were pretty warm favourites. And, and the team was desperate, absolutely desperate for a win. And he didn't have to go to him. Dave Rennie didn't have to go to him, but he chose to and said uh, good luck. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure he'd be one of the first guys that he went to after the match to say thanks. And, and he would generally say thanks because that squad desperately needed a turnaround type victory. And so did Dave Rennie. I mean, he's a good coach. He's a positive sort of a bloke. But you start looking at, at yourself and you start doubting yourself if you, you don't get the W's for a long period of time. So, uh Hats off to Quade Cooper on this particular occasion, not generally, but John, I, I think he deserves the accolades, and it was a one-off performance, and the Springboks will learn that they cannot give that level of penalties away. And another issue, when you said, uh, what are we talking about? Uh, we applauding them when they scored all those tries from rolling malls. Well, uh, Brian has uh, called, texted in and said, we were all pretty excited when we beat Fiji with four tries from rolling malls. We didn't seem to, that night we weren't able to score any other way. Uh, the box did nearly score two others over the line. They had two others over the line but disallowed. So Brian, picking up on your point about rolling malls. I mean, I'd be quite happy for a rolling mall to win the World Cup final, wouldn't you? Oh, definitely. Um, thanks, Brian. That's awesome to be put in my place as well, and fair enough too. Um, but we're not we're not talking about World Cup finals every week, are we, Smithy? Like, the All Blacks can show you they can score that way, rolling malls, and they can score kicking the ball, and they can score spreading the ball, and they can score with loose forwards down the tram lines. They can score many different ways, but I'm seeing a South African team who made zero clean breaks last night against an Australian team who we put, I think, five or six tries on every time we played them. So for me, that shows South Africa are a one-trick pony. They don't have any other way of scoring but from driving malls, and I'd be very concerned if I was Jacques Ninaba without his right-hand man uh, with him at the moment. He's all alone, isn't he? No Rassi Erasmus uh, for this rugby championship, so it's on him to find another way this week, and very much so the following week, how to break down opposition defences, because if you can't make a clean break against the Wallabies, who can you make a clean break against? 
Yeah, well, good point. But I, I get a little bit um, sceptical when we start criticising the, the current world champions who at one stage were keeping their powder dry going into the World Cup as well and weren't really a possibility to win that particular event. So I just get a little bit worried, a little bit sheepish about uh, because you, you know the beast, you know the beast, you know the tradition, you know there's 100 test matches um, in the terms of history coming up. Uh, there are a lot of reasons why the Springbok jersey will be worn very proudly. So let's just not get carried away, take it week by week. But that's, uh, that will be, um, the, the atmosphere around that and the build-up to that being test match number 100 will add to the significance. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Bodie's kicking style is poor, says Gizzy. It looks like his head is too far over the ball at the point of contact. Leads to inaccuracies at times. It would be interesting to get a kicking coach of some sort on the show. Well, we did really, I suppose, in Grant Fox. And Grant Fox is very supportive of uh, the work that he's putting in. And uh, he seems to think that it might be an injury, a little bit of an injury issue, Gizzy. And um, <laughs> there may be something to that as well. Remembering, of course, he was the only named number 10 uh, in the initial part of the tour. Uh, until Richie Mwanga is able to join the, the team. Uh, so that was an interesting one. Do we ever get to the bottom of why Sam, White, Sam Whitelock never went straight away? Uh, and all of a sudden, Mwanga is going to be um, beating him over there or, or arriving early, as early as him? Do I think find that, that out? Yeah, I think the word was that um, it's different for a forward than it is for a back to get ready for a test match, Smithy. So they weren't happy with Sam Whitelock being shut up in a hotel for two weeks and then having a week to get himself right to face the Springboks. So they just thought, well, it's just not worth you even coming over. I know Sam, if you ask Sam Whitelock, he'll definitely say yes. And in fact, he did on SCNZ. He said he'd start charging into the walls in his hotel room to try and get himself physically ready. Like he was willing to do anything he can. But this All Blacks team are quite good at making an early call uh, and just making a definitive call. And they said, nah, as a tight forward, you cannot get physically ready in a week for the Springboks after spending two weeks in a hotel room. If you're a back, sure. If you're Richie Moonga, Sure you can. Uh, you can come over and get ready in a week of, uh, you know, and you w- will be ready because you don't have to take those hard knocks, Smithy, of clearing out rucks, you know, taking line-out balls, hitting malls, you know. It's a lot different to a tight four getting ready for a test against the Springboks than it is for Richie Moonga. Okay, good point. Uh, Smithy Bowden is slowly getting back to his brilliant best. Uh, Ken says, would uh, start him in the big test from now on. I uh, think the team is missing Caleb Clark on the wing. Well, hmm, I, think, I think it's going to be quite a big road back for Caleb Clark. Uh, he made that uh, commitment to go to the sevens, which was fair enough. Uh, it didn't pay off because he never made the final squad there, and he didn't win a medal as such. Um, so uh, he's going to have to, I think, has to get more active. This would be my observation, uh, is that he would uh, have to get more active, go for looking for more work, i.e. Seve Reese, i.e. George Bridge. Uh, those guys that are seen all over the park. Colin Betty's another one. You see them everywhere. Their, their jersey number everywhere. Seve Reese, I think, is probably the best example. I've seen that for a long, long time. And uh, and I'm not sure they've used Caleb Clark that well, uh, some of the teams that he's played in. Uh, he, you know, I can't imagine anyone wanting to tackle Caleb Clark. And you've got a five-metre scrum situation. If he's the first receiver, I cannot any, imagine anyone looking forward to that uh, possibility. So maybe they've got to look at the way they use Caleb Clark, and he has to look about the, at the amount of involvement he has in 80 minutes of rugby. Just wish it was still 80 minutes of rugby rather than 120. It's 11.50 here on SCNZ. Uh, time to catch up with Staffy uh, before we finish the show at midday. 
From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. He's coming through at Glenn Phillips, Black Cap Glenn Phillips, on fire, hitting nine sixes and two fours in an innings in the CPL to get his Barbados Royals home and a wonderful run chase. So that's good news uh, going into any cricket coming forward that Glenn Phillips continues to gain in confidence. Mark Stafford is with us now. I'm not quite sure what was the highlight of the weekend for me, Staffy. Was it the, the young ladies playing tennis? Uh, was it the All Blacks and um, a blanking of Argentina? Um, really? Or was it just this morning uh, seeing the end of the quest for a grand slam for Djokovic? Plenty happening. Oh, look, hands down, my highlight was the women's tennis final. It was just... It was a story no one predicted. It was a story no one knew what the final chapter was going to be. Two young guns. It really, it, I think it does signal the changing of the guard in the women's game. And not necessarily just those two either. I, I think the the depth of the women's game at the sort of under 23-year-old sort of level, I think there's a massive resurgence. And just the class of these Teenagers, Smithy. Teenagers. When, uh, when Layla, who came second, asked for the mic back and paid respect uh, to the nine eleven situation. Like, imagine if that's your daughter. How proud you are of her and how level-headed she was. I just, the whole, the whole spectacle of that women's final was just so complete for me. Um, not only the sporting prowess, but the maturity. Uh, the determination and then the graciousness of losing and the graciousness of winning. Uh, an undoubted highlight for me for the weekend. Brody did a good, uh, made a good fist of captaincy and it, it certainly his form was just, I mean, we were a little bit worried, were we, after one or two games that he might have lost it in Japan and man, not now, not now at all. No, he's, he's the V8 that's found another four cylinders. He, he was a V12 and just the work the guy gets through and, and he, he's never... He's never there to make up the numbers at ruck and maul time. He contributes every single touch, every single tackle. Ruck maul he attends. His presence is felt. He's he's such a colossus of a man, and he adds so much to the All Blacks uh, engine room and the whole fifteen. And uh, inspiring leader. Gosh, yeah, it's it's one of those. And I think, and you've played the level at the highest level, Smithy. A follow me type captain is you just can't deny it. No, you can't. He looks at you across the room and you say, yep, I'm for you. I'm here for you today, Skip. Mm. Uh, look, uh, Steph, speaking of being here today, what have you got this afternoon for us? Well, I haven't been handed the script yet, so it's a bit bit tricky. Um, oh, apparently he's texting me it. He's texting me it. Here we are. All right, today we have Nisbo, of course, the the, the voice, oh. of, voice of all rugby, um, get his take on both test matches. And what two wonderful different test matches they were. Um, Louis Brown, uh, the former Shark, the former Warrior and the former Panther is joining us and when he left the Warriors he set up his own clothing label. I'm wondering if he's still doing that over in Australia but interested to get his take on the things over the um, over the weekend. Uh, Ewan McKenzie, hopefully, were trying hard for Ewan McKenzie who was Wallaby's coach when Quade Cooper was at his prime. Um, and failing that, we'll try and get Greg Martin instead. Brett Phillips on um, tennis, of course, and Katie Duncan talking football um, around the Phoenix, getting a women's team. Fantastic show coming up, Smithy. Good luck with that, staff. Look forward to uh, listening this afternoon. Bit of a slow start for me. 
Uh, but we picked up the pace throughout the morning. Very happy. Uh, thanks to Trudy, of course, for being the rock. Uh, for Brian, inspirational. And for John Day, who's improving all the time. I think it's a very the all-new SCNZ is Kiwi for sport. Thank you.